This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Kavnis HR will soon have the beta version of the Kavnis HR platform ready for testing. And we invite you as a listener of the Jason Kavnis Experience to join our list at www.cavernoushr.co. Once again, to join our list, go to www.cavernoushr.co. For those signed up for our beta testing, you will receive three months free to try it out, and then you will be locked into our discounted beta pricing forever. As a reminder, here at Cavernous HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people. If you have a small business or a startup, we invite you to join our waitlist for the beta testing of the Cabinets HR platform. Cabinets HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. Remember to be great every day. Hello. And welcome to Jason Cavanis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Cavanis. Here at Cavanis HR, we're getting ready to release the MVP of our Cavanis HR platform. And we're signing up people for the waitlist for our beta testing. To sign up for our waitlist, go to www.cavanishr.co. Once again, to sign up for our waitlist, www.cavanishr.co. Our guest today is Robert Wright. Robert, are you ready to be great today? I am. Thank you so much, Jason. Robert is a nationally recognized leader in the veteran community experience in strategic and economic development, public policies, and veteran initiatives. After a 20-plus military career, he serves as, as the CEO and CFOO for two veteran nonprofit startups, helping over 1,000 veterans with employment and social ser services. He is a founder of Sound Sustainability with a mission to improve the hearing health of the world. He received his Executive Master of Public Administration and MS in Entrepreneurship degrees from the University of Washington was recognized as a Husky 100. He has dedicated his life to helping others and focuses for laboratory work on racial equity. He currently serves as a board member for the Social Venture Partner Seattle and Sound Discipline. He lives with his wife, Ashley, and their cat, Simon, in Edmonton, Washington. Robert, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. Um, listening to you read my bio, I always forget about some of those things I've done, as well as just uh, kind of it's a unique experience to be able to have someone else read about yourself. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, always like, you know, like a live one or write or something yeah, like, your bio. It's like, crap, I did all that uh, since I've gotten out of the military. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Excited to share a lot today about um, my company, Sound Sustainability, why I founded it. Uh, talk about, you know, just about anything that comes up for us. Um, share, you know, a little bit of my military experience as well as, you know, what it means to be a veteran. Um, you know, an organization that I love to support and hope that others can help and support out there, especially in the uh, Seattle, uh, greater Puget Sound area. Now, Robert, where are you originally from? Actually, I was born in Idaho, uh, so okay. I can call so myself Pacific, North Pacific Northwest. Surprisingly, yes. But uh, even though I was born there on an Air Force base, I left uh, as a child and moved all around the world. Mostly grew up uh, Okinawa, Japan, mm -hmm. uh, Germany, and East Coast South, mostly. Cool. 
So what's Social Venture Partners in Seattle? Yes, uh, so SVP Seattle, another uh, way known as, is basically it's a nonprofit um, that supports and looks right now as we have a statement about being an anti-racist organization. So basically we look at how, how do we you know, grant funding as well as help support our partners in learning about philanthropy. Uh, and then look at grant funding uh, for community organizations um, that you know predominantly are led by uh, POC people of color uh, leaders, as well as support uh, people of color uh, communities. How long have y'all been around? They wow, they've been around for a minute, uh, for at a least while, okay. like twenty plus years. Okay. And the point is, like you know, starting you know from Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, Paul Shoemaker, uh, others, you know, who, who founded it years back um, and ran it. Um, so it's not but, like they just started, like you know, all these. Uh, old, you see, like oh, that twenty thousand nonprofit just started like two or three years of everything going uh, on. No, they, they've been around for a minute. Uh, I joined probably about uh, coming up on three years ago. And the big reason I joined is after I left the military, I was trying to find what was next for me. And, and while in school, I, I wanted to volunteer with an organization that gave me opportunities to meet different organizations and experience different uh, cultures and uh, backgrounds. And you know, I didn't want to volunteer for like 10 different nonprofits. So I found SCP that supports so many different backgrounds. So what's your role there again? So right now I'm actually, I'm, as just a partner, I'm also on their board and I chair the racial equity uh, committee. And about how much time do you, have to, do you give for that? Like on, a, on average, like weekly basis? Uh, weekly basis, uh, maybe an hour or two, just depends. Like okay. even really after this podcast, I'm actually uh, helping uh, co-lead one of our grant making uh, sessions, meeting with partners and speaking to them about what that looks like for the organization going forward. Cool. And then you've been involved with an organization called Founders Institute, right? Correct. And, that, and what they do is like they start really early, early ideas and basically like take you to the arena, kick your teeth in. <laughs> like, you know, is this really a good idea for you? Like, oh, yeah. I heard it's pretty like brutal, right? It's very intense. Uh, I, I not for the faint of heart. No, it's not. It's, it's still a nightmare. Like, like, if you joking. get your feelings so easily, don't go to Founders Institute. So, don't go there. Um, a lot of people ask me like, oh, should I go there? And I'm like, if you're going to put any hours, go to it. Um, I know I did the program while in my master's entrepreneurship program at the same oh, time. So you just a good punch of me. It definitely was get done with school. And in the evening time, I have to go to that. I remember one of the assignments, I, you know, I had to iterate my pitch deck. I had to go to 12 different people and every uh, four people, I had to reiterate it based off of feedback, what I wanted to integrate in and then go back and then pitch it to another four people. And I had to go through this uh, 12 times, uh, at least 12 different pitches, but three iterations. I'm sure there's like a short time limit too, right? Oh yeah, it's just a week. <laughs> So the homework assignments are, are intense, um, but I, I do believe and wholeheartedly uh, support them in a point of that they do accelerate you. Um, they have been tremendous in my launch, they've been tremendous in my learning journey, uh, as well as just amazing support that they've given me even as an alumni since then. And you took sound sustainability through them, right? Correct. Yeah, I, I know people were through, everyone told me that, you know, it's not fundamentally fair, hard, it's not fundamentally weak, you know? Like, uh, no. Yeah, uh, I, I've, Friends, I have people went through my uh, the master entrepreneurship program at the, at the University of Washington. And they're like, "Oh, I'm just going to go do that." I'm like, yeah, "Maybe want, not. <laughs> maybe not. Just just be honest, be open with yourself. Like, it's not the easiest, you know, pre-seed accelerator out there. But you, you also get what you put into it, and the more you put into it, the more you listen and learn. That you know, better you'll be as an entrepreneur. The longer you'll be as a, a better as a founder as well. And founders Institute is across the nation, right? Across Correct. the world. It's across. Yeah, it's it's uh, globally. Um, the Seattle. Uh, cohort just uh, kicked off again itself. Um, and then I know they about to kick off one in Toronto. 
Uh, and they also are just starting with a, a founder's uh, lab, like helping with uh, VCs. Now they have interesting dynamic, I think, like, like Techstars, YC Combinator, all the ones generate. They give you like X amount of money for X amount of equity. They would they don't give you no money and don't take equity, but you equity other people in the program, right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and, and they can kind of go. So you want to make sure a little one succeeds unless you can, <laughs> yes. right? They it really add to the teamwork thing, I would think. Yeah. And like, so amazing thing I loved about it is the after part of graduation. So I, I stepped up and asked if I can like, you know, I'll be the president of like our cohort. Um, you know, we had five founders uh, graduate. We started with oh, over like like 25 ish. It's only five of us made it through. So like, it's, yeah, it's a high drop out rate. Yeah. yeah. But you know, we help each other. Uh, and it's not just an imperative that we help each other because we're investing in each other's company. It's just a great thing to do when you're helping mm -hmm. other entrepreneurs, helping other founders. Like you need a, a comfortable sounding board, that CEO circle of people to talk to um, so that you feel trusted and, you know, you spend three and a half, almost four months together. So you build that trust versus, oh, let me just go join a circle out there and pay all this money to be and talk to some CEOs I've never met before. And, it, and it's just not tech startups, right? All kind of companies, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, we had, you know, ones that graduated with us, uh, one works on an AI where it does, you know, free meetings and takes notes, uh, flight AI, uh, one fresh grease. He, um, Garrett works on trying to provide parts uh, for, you know, bicycles and look at how do you, as a user, uh, follow up, but how does a user, you can, you know, find the right parts for your bike. And, and then one is working actually on the uh, last mile delivery um, up in rural Alaska and everything. Oh, so I'm guessing this is something you would do again. If you I definitely would do it again. Yeah. If I start another company, I would go through an heartbeat. Um, yeah. Just the relationships you build, relationships already had prior there, um, the help they've had, you know, since graduating, you know, continue to get emails like, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? What introductions can we make? Um, there's an amazing event coming up that FI connected, uh, asked me, uh, those who are veterans to come to, you know, be able to pitch in front of the uh, veteran affairs. And, and you don't get those type of things when you're, you know, outside in other different accelerators, like this opens up doors. That brings up a good point. This is my opinion, right? Seattle's a great startup community. Harakama, it's like it's solid, right? I mean, there's Founders Live, there's Bunko Labs, there's Start Maven, there's um, Cigar and Stuff. I could go on, 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 right? Absolutely. And all of them have like, you no, know, like, like this Founders Institute pitch you told me. I had no idea about it, right? Yeah. Like once I got invited to MIT forum pitch, I didn't know what that was, right? There's all this stuff going on. And like, I'm not, I mean, like who's collaborating? Like who's mixing it up? It's like, it's yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, the, this... There are silos. I mean, and I think we all recognize this, especially in this community. Uh, I just had an amazing opportunity with I Innovate uh, Leadership Network. We completed uh, this is a six year of doing a uh, basically a major research project where it shows the ecosystem of Seattle for entrepreneurs. It shows you know the um, opportunities basically in two reports, like a, a, a report card that says how our system is looking for Seattle, and, and then a, a report card, not really a report card, but a report on what are the availability resources out there? And when I you know, worked on this, it's just phenomenal to see how many amazing resources there are, but it's also like can be overwhelming because like there is so much and where do you start and who do you know that exactly the right choice for you and the right fit for you uh, as a founder? I think it's challenging to a lot of people like they're in this little silo and like some of us, I'll reach out to them. Well, I don't know you. Like, are you kidding me? Right? You know, like, like, I like yeah, always talk like gatekeepers. Uh, yeah, like always like joke around like on LinkedIn. If you reach out to somebody you don't know, sometimes they come back. I don't know you. I connect with you. I always say, well, if I met you at the networking event in person, are you gonna say you don't know me in person? Yeah. You know, and of course, you know there's time. You know, there's yep. limits. You know, all the kind of stuff's going on. You know, 
uh, it's it's about the luck and it's about the timing, but like, and it is about the network. And that's something like ever since leaving the military, I've like preached to people and told them like, hey, like networking matters. Uh, I'm you know I am an introvert you know at most times, but I have no problem networking. And I know you know that like I love to go talk mm-hmm. to people, but I, I'm so drained afterwards. But you have to go network. You have to walk up to people and you have to take chances. And hopefully that luck and timing matters when you get to them. Yeah, I'm an introvert too. But people are like, you're not introvert. You have a podcast. <laughs> like, exactly. I can, I control every fucking thing on the podcast, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then talking about networking, I remember I was, I was retired from the military. And like, I was here again out now. Like, and this is my opinion again. You have all these job first, right? 99.9% of the military, you know, like you have to go somewhere where you're not really only military, right? You got to go different places, you know, like. Yeah, that's that is a big challenge. I think still that you know plagues like since the you know the post nine eleven transition world that uh, you know as I left out of Joint Base Lewis McCord here in the Seattle area, you know every Wednesday they have a uh, a brown bag lunch. You yeah, can I, forgot, come there. I forgot about those. Yeah, like and, and it'd be the same companies, it'd be the same people. So you got to see the same characters all the time. Financial advisors, financial you know. advisors. Like for some reason, uh, it just feels like the industries feel that veterans, those who come out of military service only fit in certain boxes that we all want to be project managers. We all want to be program managers. We all want to, you know, sell insurance. We all want to sell, you know, securities. Like there's other things that we want to do with our lives. So more companies uh, sometimes don't realize like, Hey, you may want a veteran to come work for you or veterans actually want to work at your company. So like, it's not just on industries, but it's also on the military to do a better job on veterans to do a better job by going uh, to these brown bags and saying, this is what you want versus like, let other people speak for you. Yeah. I, I got a on tech startup just by accident. Right. You know, no, there was no tech startup coming to Fort Lewis, you know, pitching yep. or, and, and I had no idea like entrepreneurship or all that kind of stuff was even no option until somebody reached out to me just by accident. Right. Well, they don't even push, you know, like there's a whole transition program and there's these three categories, three road, you know, maps you're supposed to go down. One of higher education, one of employment, and one is supposed to, and the other last one is supposed to be about starting your own company. Uh, yeah. I, I did do that boost of business thing. It, I forgot and, about and that. They don't really push that last one about starting your own company. And I, you know, I didn't go to boots to business until shoot three and a half years out of the military. And I went through the SBA boot to business and I went through their revenue uh, program last year while also my master's program. You're so, welcome for punishment. Yes. But right before I started F, uh, Founder Suit FI, I went through the SBA uh, boots to revenue. And it was a great program. Um, a lot of these things I did actually helped me with grad school and I already had homework assignments done. But it was intense and enough that you get to learn, but you get to see it. It's a lot again, like I said, and I, you know, it's all the same people over and over, uh, the same style of businesses. It's not a very uh, unique experience sometimes if you're looking at a tech or if you're looking at a healthcare or med tech startup like myself. Yeah. I mean, Seattle gets a lot of criticism. However, comma, I mean, I'm much rather be here than like, you know, Bismarck, North Dakota or, Absolutely. or, you know, Raleigh, Kansas, you know, I mean, it's, you know, if you want to, if you have a tech startup, if you want to start a business, Seattle is one of the better places to yeah. be at, despite all the stuff, you know, we criticize about it, which I well, mean, criticism is good. I think, you know, you only, you only get better if you criticize things. You have to criticize it. You, you have to keep pushing envelope. You know, we have an amazing ecosystem here that can get better. It has been better and it will get better. But if you don't uh, identify or point out the gaps and point out where the challenges and what people need, then it's never going to get better. You just can't sit on your laurels and be like, cool, we're good to go. We're like number nine in the world, and, which we're not right now. Uh, some reports we have like number 11. And you can't sit here and say, all right, we're good at number 11. Let's just sit there. No, let's continue innovating, uh, integrating uh, innovation and keep uh, iterating to make us better. Yeah, we can definitely get better. Um so let's talk about uh, uh, military nonprofits. You've worked for a couple in the past. 
One one being vetted. Now that's done Austin, and they're no longer in business, right? That's correct. Yeah. And what did they do? So vetted uh, was taking uh, transitioning military uh, high performers. Basically, we were a uh, partner with top MBA schools uh, around the nation. Uh, Wharton, uh, Kellogg, uh, Booth, uh, even here at University of Washington, we'd go to Foster. Um, and basically we would, uh, it started there in Austin. So it was at the, um, you know, becomes business school. And we were partnered with Mays, which is out of, um, you know, uh, UT and then Texas A&M. And the mission was to be able to help uh, veterans or who was transitioning out to either go into corporate America or help them uh, transition to start their own company. So there's another a nonprofit, out of, I can't remember the name of it, I think it's San Diego. They focus on helping special forces people get executive jobs. So it's kind of the same. I can't think of they're, and they're actually really, really good. And they're like pretty well known, but I can't think of the name of it. Out of yeah. San Diego. So I know like the, uh, the founder of Vetted, you know, as it closes stores after I left, um, um, you know, they moved on to basically going into employment services mm -hmm. and, and helping, you know, uh, predominantly like, you know, uh, Navy SEALs and uh, yeah. Delta from the Army, the Special Forces community uh, get into employment jobs. And I mean, there's a niche for that. And that's, you know, that's what's needed. Uh, there was a niche for Vetted to exist. It, you, know, you know, sometimes the business models don't work. Sometimes things just don't work and it's uh, okay. Uh, yeah. You move on, you learn, um, and you grow from it. You think, I mean, people would talk about nonprofit. I mean, to me, nonprofit, not for parts, just the same, right? The tax a little bit different. You still got to raise money for both, you know. Yeah. And I think it's even harder for a nonprofit because at least our stop, you can, you know, lie to a person, say, hey, I'm going to give you 10% equity in the company. All this kind of stuff, you'd be a billionaire. Yeah. Can't do it on a nonprofit. You gotta, yeah. you gotta sell the mission, I mean, make the world a better place, all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, a nonprofit is a corporation, and I think that's a, a you know a major challenge and issue in our community still that we think, oh, nonprofits are not a company. No, they're still a company. You, you should board still of directors, be paying CEOs. the people what they are, you know, to you should be paying a great salaries and you should be hiring. You don't underpay nonprofits like we do right now. Uh I do remember, you know, as I, I moved from Seattle driving on the road to Austin. Um and it was my first experience of like how to fundraise and getting a call from the founder and be like, hey, you know, by the time you get here, you might run out of money. And it was just like the sinking feeling like crap, like how do you raise funds? And it's something I was never taught. Um, and it was, it was very uh, challenging and hard, you know, when you're going to people and saying, hey, you pledge this amount of money. Can you please, you know, when are you going to give it to us? Like we need it now. And then how do you go out and find more money? How do you talk to corporations for, you know, uh, not just grants, but just, you know, corporate donations and sponsorship. Um, and knowing so, that, you know, just like you're a startup, you're, you're probably emailing some invested for, they're probably getting hundreds of emails and cold calls. Oh. These people you fundraise from, like I, I can imagine the number of calls that emails USA gets or oh, yeah. Boeing gets or, or Microsoft gets, right? Yeah. I mean, all, these, all these, all kind of, you know, uh, especially veteran related ones from the yes, USA. They, they got emails from me personally, you know, for both nonprofits that I worked at. Uh, and so, yeah. And, and it's, you go back to like what you're comfortable and you know, and sometimes you have to stop that and like take a, you know, tactical pause and say, cool. Let me figure out what's next and who else can I go to? You know, we had a great spreadsheet at one time that was like, you know, our uh, all the list of companies we knew, people we knew there and say, all right, if this is what we're going to go after for corporate sponsorships. Then we started dividing it out. So we actually had a plan versus let me just throw a dart at the board and hit the companies I may or may not know. So let's, let's talk about something else. And people might find this unpopular. This is my, <laughs> I'm going to give my personal opinion. In my opinion, there are too many nonprofits trying to help out veterans, right? There's just so many, it's some insane number, like 22, 44,000, right? Oh, yeah. Over and like, for example, yeah. like here for look down at Fort Lewis, or don't, but don't make Lewis record. There's like three or four nonprofits to help veterans fish, right? Now, remember one is like deep sea fishing and one is river fishing. 
So all four are kind of different, but do you really need four official nonprofits, right? And there are so many nonprofits, you know, and are, are they really, are the people in charge really helping out veterans? Or are they like in it for themselves, tech breaks? Like, for example, there was um, a nonprofit in Texas. I can't remember the name of it. Actually, I do. I just want, I don't want to say it. And their thing was <laughs> they will go to different military bases instead of resume reviews, right? Well, I found after the fact, they would go to different towns. I came to Seattle, Fort Lewis. They convinced all the people in the side of human resource management in Seattle to volunteer the time to do the resume stuff for free, right? So they're taking money from somewhere, not paying anything, just making big bucks, right? And like, I don't know, it's just, I think it's a problem, right? Yeah, there's always, you know, two sides to the coin. I think the there is a need uh, and there's also like, you know, it's unmet need is like I'm saying, the having over 42,000 nonprofits supporting veterans. And those are uh, the ones that are like, you know, actually do the right thing and did yes, LLCs and that's, stuff. That's just, it's convolutes, you know, and it, it overwhelms. And if you, you can go on Facebook, you can go on all social media and you can just, just hashtag veterans and look it up or veterans transition. And you'll see all these veterans asking, what do I go? What do I do? Or they're always, you know, it's not about complaining, but they always make the point of like, there's too many, like we're overwhelmed. And I think the, the problem with that is, is, uh, nonprofits don't merge. And this is something I push tremendously uh, as, as I was running a uh, vet and as I was working at Minority Veterans of America, like how do we acquire other nonprofits or how do we merge with other nonprofits that take on the same mission statements? There's only a certain amount of resources available. It's finite. There's only so much money available. If you keep spreading all this money across 42,000 nonprofits, truly how much of an impact are you really making if you only hit once or twos here and there uh, versus, hey, Let's go ahead and take our ego away sometimes, or let's go ahead and take what we know is best for a community, come together, merge, acquire nonprofits, build a collaboration, build a consortium of you know nonprofits, and actually make a bigger impact. And, and I hope you know sooner or later that starts happening in our community. So how, how much does that cause by people starting nonprofits having too much ego, not being <laughs> humble, you know, like I'm gonna start this because I'm the only one who can fix this problem, you know, and oh, well, maybe you are, but odds are maybe you're not. I mean, percentage wise, I probably, I don't really know, but like, I would say that most people I've met, it's, you know, honest conversation. People usually come to me like, Hey, I, I saw you, you know, I used to run a nonprofit. You worked at other ones. You do a lot in the space. Like I want to start a nonprofit. And the first question I always ask them is like, why, why do you want to start another nonprofit? Is there another one out there that you can support or join or try to run or be a board member or like financially, there's different ways of supporting that you can then get your mission across or you can pay or raise funds for them to have a new program. If you're only starting one program and there's a nonprofit that's very similar to what you're already doing, then why not just go to a nonprofit and say, hey, I wanna work for y'all and I'll help raise the funds to get your, this program off the ground. And then it's already underneath another nonprofit and you don't have to go through all the headaches. And nothing else, work for another nonprofit, learn Absolutely. how to do it, and then start your own nonprofit. Yes. Yeah, I think like, you know, when we come out of the military, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, bright eyed, you know, bushy tail, we're ready to solve more problems in the world. We're leaving. And some of us are upset, some of us are happy, but like, it's, it's that point of like, I'm leaving the military and I'll have to have a next mission. And you hear it a lot, like, what is my next mission? Sometimes your next mission can just be to volunteer and help other people in a different capacity. You don't always have to be in charge. As leaders, sometimes we have to sit back and learn first and then, you know, take the next step to see how we can become better leaders. So, Robert, let's go back to you being a clown for punishment. Talk about your <laughs> master's entrepreneurship in UW. So, first question is, I think some people will say, isn't that counterintuitive to get a, go to school to for entrepreneurship? So you like go out there and do, do, learn and fail. Yeah. Why, why do the entrepreneurship thing in school? Yeah. So 
when COVID hit last year, uh, I got sick, you know, don't know 100% if it's COVID or not, regardless, you know, a month and a half of being sick, um, you know, I, I finished a contract, uh, you know, another nonprofit and I had jobs uh, lined, you know, applications in a system with uh, King County, uh, city of Seattle and everything got frozen in March. Uh, and I was, I was sick from, you know, basically from through March, uh, beginning of March to mid April. And when you can't get hired, you can't get hired. Um, and it happened. It happened to a lot of people, have millions of Americans. Uh, so the, the challenge that like, I sat there and talked to my wife about was like, hey, uh, we can live off some savings for a couple of months, hopefully find a job. Um, but I decided, you know what? I saw my GI Bill. Let me pivot. Let me go back to school for another master's. It's going to help us with, uh, you know, housing allowance and give me a year to actually get a company off the ground. Um, as well as, you know, I've done other programs and was been involved in it. It was really that it gave me that space to focus just on the company um, and actually learn and make the connections because of, you know, I didn't expect us not to be in person, expect us to, you know, you know, not be online, but be in person. And, and so I made some other challenges, but I did it for so many different reasons uh, around, you know, networking to having that tactical pause for myself for a year. And it's a year focus of your program. It's a year program. It's lockstep. You go four quarters. The classes are chosen. Uh, I'm actually writing a, a use case of how I use my time at UW to like maximize for my company. Uh, one example is at one time I had 28 students uh, working with my company. Um, across seven different departments and three campuses of the University of Washington, which yeah. is unheard of. I have to imagine a possible <laughs> people working from UW had to open up tremendously for you. Yeah, and, and these were all students in different capstone projects from you know mechanical engineering to the human center design and engineer program, uh, biomedical regulatory affairs, master's program. So it was what you normally would have at a company that is a, you know, been developed for a couple of years out that you have a full team, you know, of almost 30 employees. And that's what I was able to build in the year while I was there at school. How many people were in the program with you? Uh, in our program, we started, I think, about 29 or 30. We, we finished with 28. One, you know, left to completely respect that decision of when you're not in person, there, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, what's lost to a program and recognize like it was COVID uh, and we all had to adapt to it, you know, so they left. And I really respect that person for actually making the decision to do that. Uh, so 28 of us end up graduating. And what was, I mean, what's the stereotype of still like someone that's got a bachelor's degree, someone been had three or four stars yeah, and failed or what's that, that was a mixed bag. And I think like when I did my executive master public administration, like there's a requirement you had to, you know, be seven years, uh, seven to 10 years was the average. But I think seven years was the minimum. You had to have experience in the uh, workforce. This, there was no uh, minimum. Like, you know, there were people who came straight out of their undergrad into the program. There were some like myself who, you know, already served for like 20 years and, you know, worked outside and some just right in the middle. Uh, we predominantly had, I think, probably around early stage, mostly. Mm -hmm. There's maybe, I don't know, about, you know, 10 of us who, who have been, you know, either in the workforce or doing things, um, 10, 15, it's about half to uh, most, you know, were early stage, just coming out of school or didn't have much experience, less, you know, five, So I had years. a niece that graduated from UW a few years ago. She had a minor entrepreneurship. And they had actually started a company the, like the last semester. Did y'all have to like, start companies also, or how did that work? So the point of the, you know, the program, you know, hopefully is you're coming in to start a company if you haven't already started one. Uh, again, 
very unique experience in year because of COVID. And, and I'm going to, you know, use that loosely to a certain extent, but the, uh, and again, my opinion on this, um, not everybody started the company like as users expect it. Um, and, you know, some left there without ideas, but the, the point was, you know, hopefully to help them get a company off the ground if they're ready to, or to go, you know, to corporate America as an entrepreneur learning that, or like going back and some already had jobs and they're just doing this on the side at the same time, trying to run their own company. You might not know this, but you have to know like what kind of companies have come out of the, this program. Like, yeah, that's another mixed bag. Um, like last year's uh, companies even had one like called 2050. Uh, I'm so sorry uh, if I miss, I know it's 2050, but like there's a, uh, a protein shake company apologize for messing up the rest of your name uh, i probably get killed for that later uh you know then things like that um you have people like uh ryan used who was from apno med had a medical device uh for helping with snoring this year we you know had companies um like outway good friend of mine uh you know who basically started trying to help with land managers connect them to users of the land to learn where other uh, trails and hiking locations are um so we had everything from tech to someone having you know a a company that's um sold used goods or go into storage units and taking things out of that uh to someone who sold bird's nest um in indonesia it's a big thing that you drink a bird's nest like the way to dilute it and uh, take the solvent phenomenal i've never even heard of it uh i love Catherine. she worked with my company a lot over the last year so i, I can't wait to go to indonesia and actually try a bird's nest so yeah. like an actual bird nest yeah like they take the bird's nest i and i i'm gonna mess up the whole process and of course you know it's, um but you know basically being able to, to take a solvent from it or dilute um when they the whole mixture, I would just go Google it, look at the bird's nest and see like how it is like a protein or it's like a healthy drink that they create there. And it's a big thing there, but here in the United States, we are like, oh, what's a bird's nest? And it was just, it was interesting. So we, we did have a lot of international students, um, you know, did marketing as well as, you know, creative design to, you know, myself, like, you know, did uh, healthcare, uh, one amazing company, I'm uh, really, truly uh, supported them, happy, and I hope they do get uh, going where they're at. It's out of Ghana. Um, you know, they use a company named Health Express. I'm not sure if they're going to change it or not. Um, but basically, they're making mobile units uh, that help mobile healthcare units out of uh, use uh, connexes, you know, the big, you know, 48 foot connex you know, trailers, and basically making those mobile healthcare units all throughout Ghana. Yeah, one thing I don't people realize, especially in Seattle, what an entrepreneurial hub UW is, right? Oh, yes. Because the Microsoft, the Microsoft, I mean, not the Microsoft, the master's program, entrepreneurship, yeah. uh, Techstars was a program out of there, commercial labs, there's a real big XR, VR, you know, program there, you know. Yeah, Bunker Labs launched out of, out of there, there yeah. out of there years back when, um, oh, crap. Um, Johannes and Jake. Johannes yeah. and I'm trying to think of, I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but, you know, CEO uh, of Starbucks, you know, came, came and spoke, um, Schultz came and spoke and launched it there. Um, but yeah, it, University of Washington is a huge hub. Um, everything from the Foster School of having the uh, undergrad, like minors in entrepreneurship, there's a certificate in entrepreneurship. Uh, they have an amazing program called Engineering and uh, in Health uh, Innovation that tries to, again, it may, another silo, another program I belong to, that trying to connect it to the business school, that there are students who are solving health problems, but they're engineer, they're mechanical engineer mm -hmm. students. Um, so, you know, connecting them, you know, with the right business uh, students is, is key. Um, that's, that, that now it'll grow and it'll get better, but there's so much that comes out of that school that we sometimes don't realize.
so let's talk about this. So there's a saying, you know, um, ABC always be closing. I have another saying, ABR always be recruiting, right? Especially talk about you got to find people who come on board, right? Because like, oh, yeah. first, you know, you can't pay them anything. So usually they're going to leave it there for six months. Another challenge to always say, like a lot of startup founders that think they're going to be Marcus Zuckerberg in six months. A lot of startup employees think they're going to be Marcus Zuckerberg in six months also, right? Which is, you know, disconnect. So, and you've had, you've, you've had success, success bringing people on to work for you, right? Can yeah. you talk about how, that, how you've been able to do that? So majority of the success, you know, it's either been volunteers or uh, as a startup going to University of Washington, applying these capstone projects where like we're supporting that uh, school within the university. They give us a team of students. We monitor them. We give them a project they're going to work on. And that's how I was able to develop, uh, you know, you know, a team of 28 students at one time. We just brought on our, our first uh, employee. Um, so that's myself as our like chief marketing officer. I met him through a business plan practicum class um, for six months. We you know went through the class and then we went to a couple uh, competitions with each other. So it just it was a right fit and meld. Um, but I will tell you, this time last year, I was struggling to find people. I I was like going to every networking event online, trying to use Startup Tree, trying to use LinkedIn, everything. And then I just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm gonna stop. And it, usually that's what happens. When you stop looking, things show up. Uh, and that's why I try to tell people like, you know, there's great programs out there, or apps that can help you find, a, you know, a technical founder or whatever. Um, but sometimes just take a pause and, and again, be patient. And right? be patient. Like it's going, to, it will come. Uh, and I, I don't want to always use like build in will come phrase. Um, but it, for me, success piece and what also helped was I had an amazing uh, assignment and it was called my user manual. Uh, there was an article on LinkedIn um, called the user manual and you get to write how does your employees, you know, work with you and it's your user manual. So I published this as an assignment. I've given it to all my volunteers, all my interns to my first employee and said, this is how you work with me. This is how you get my attention if you need certain things. If you need me to read your email, what do you put in brackets in front of it? If you need a meeting with me or if it's really important because our time is finite, like we're so busy. Um, so knowing how to work with us. And then I also published our company culture like right away early on and I gave him. And so your ABCs or ABR for me, my ABCs are always be curious. like always know what's available to you uh keep learning don't sit down and like you know stop and be stagnant uh use the beginner's mind notion of like understanding of what this might be the like the second or third or 100th time i've done this but let me approach as i've never done this before and continue being curious and childlike yeah people realize the importance of having your values and culture as soon as you can right because yeah. like do you really want to wait till you have employee number 10 and do your value because by then the other nine people have said it for you, right? Yeah. And, and the culture is, it will change and shift over, over time. You know, you can read all the articles out there. You can, you can learn from other people's mistakes, but you, you won't learn until you do it on your own. You won't know until the time to change your culture is the time it happens. Um, you know, you can kind of hopefully like get, you can be prepared for it, but like, you're absolutely right. I wanted to set the culture right away as employees were coming in, as volunteers coming on because, um, the other challenge for them was is when people ask, what do you do for sound sustainability? If they can't understand how to uh, say what my strategic narrative is or my mission is, it's not doing us any uh, good in the point of like having, you know, someone be able to talk. Like they're our best uh, spokesperson at the same time for us. Yeah, I think it's a good to realize how your company operates too, or especially your founder, right? Cause like for me, if I were to work someone and and I didn't know they only talk on the phone, like, you know, okay, I, I fucked up because I'm not talking to you on the phone, right? <laughs> like, I yeah. don't communicate that way, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things, like, 
even showed like in my user manual, it was anything from like, how do you get my attention and emails to how do you, you know, ask for a meeting with me to like, what, what is important to me? And then that then link back to my values as a company. And again, one of my values is family. And I always will tell people relationships matter to me from my ethnic background as well as my culture. And so then family is important. And I'm like, Hey, if you need to take time off for family, you take off for family. Like, you know, and you, you know this, you spent so much time in the military away from families. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how important they were until later, uh, until almost too late sometimes. Yeah, my thing, even when I was in the military, like if someone worked for me in the military now and they had like, hey, my son has a baseball game from two to four. Well, you better fucking be there. <laughs> Hire a comma, that party you have doing eight in the morning, it's still yep. doing eight in the morning, right? Yeah, you still hold their feet to the fire. You still hold them responsible to get things done. Um, and I think that then is that. So when everybody always wants to talk about this work-life balance, I mean, to me, there, there is no work-life balance because there's just life. Mm-hmm. Like, you, sh- you know, we, we, we separate or silo out like my business side of my life and my personal life. But it's so blended even now after COVID, it's even more blended as we sit here and go from meeting to meeting, sitting at our home desk. And we're actually working longer hours than we, yeah, we ever have. Don't, don't feel forget about that, right? Yeah. You're actually working longer hours. You're working longer hours because you're going from meeting to meeting versus, hey, I got a meeting downtown. Let me go get on a bus or the train. I'm taking a you know, 30 minute break now like to do stuff off my phone or listen to music, listen to my podcast and educate myself on different things, get to the meeting and then go there. Versus, okay, I just got off one meeting. I got a meeting in another minute and no break in between. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I, I talk about this on another podcast. Like when people said I want to do remote work, they didn't say what they said. What they said was I want to go home and work. They didn't say I want to go home and work and babysit my kids, take my parents back and forth. Absolutely. Do all this, you know, worry about COVID, you know. Yep. So this remote work we did was not really remote work, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, some companies are great about the remote work policy. Like, okay, we're going to send you home at your home, like a desk or computers or set you up with like parts that you need for your office. Like you would have it, you know, regular office. Others didn't do that, you know, and some of us didn't identify the challenge of saying, Hey, as a leader or as a founder, uh, when you're at home working, you need to take these breaks. You need to do this or giving, you know, a certain day off of the week of saying, cool, hey, this weekend, because everybody's working so much, let's just take a three day, just just take a pause and, you know, take another day off, um, do whatever you want. And then I think a, a lot of uh, people do want to still continue working at home because they feel, you know, they got a lot, they can get a lot done. They can focus on it, not to drive in and out of, you know, cities where they live. Um, but there's some of us who are just, we're burnt out from working at home too. But I don't think we hear a lot about those who are sharing that story, that side of it, of how burnt out we are because we've been working from home. We get up, we take care of our kids, we're working. We take care of our kids, we're working. Gotta make dinner, we go right back to work. Like, when does it stop? So there's no, it's completely blended in. Having said that, there was some hilarious things coming out of world work, right? All, you know, all the Zoom stuff you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the two examples I have, the one where the Laura's in Texas, and somehow he put a, a cat cat filter oh, on him. I you know? remember that when I watched that. That's, That's hilarious. That was hilarious. And the other one was this, this, this guy. He was on a Zoom call, and like he's facing this way, and and the, on the side you see his two kids, like four to two years old. Yep. They bring they start making a cake. They bring like flour, sugar. And he's I there like and you can see him like okay. What do they, I do? It's important. <laughs> they destroy my house. What do I do? You know. And you just see the look of like oh my god, his face right. Yeah. I, um, I was in the middle of a competition and, and like giving my presentation and like my cat and all this stuff in the background. And it's no 
not the same as the kids or whatever, but it's just going crazy and just meowing and like jumping everywhere. It's just interrupting it. And I'll just, you know, straight face like they did, just keep going with it. Uh, you know, but sometimes like there's other times I'll just recognize say, Hey, we're at home. Life happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need like just stop and then go to recognize that. But yeah, uh, I, I remember the one, I think it was on CNN or something like the, the you know, getting a report and the children came running yeah, in. Yeah, I remember that one. And yeah. I think it was like the wife or something. Wife, yeah. wife comes. Yep. And like just like fell over trying to get the kids out. And I'm like, man, it's just, let's. It's on national TV. Yes. Yep. I mean, it's just part of like our life now. Um, and I, I think it's amazing. We get to see inside of different uh, people's homes. We get to understand who they are from a different personal level. Like, you know, you know walls are coming down and understanding each other a lot better. Yeah, too. like there's a meme out recently where like somebody said, I start Zoom meeting. Zero point zero one one seconds later, mom starts vacuum. Dog starts barking at cat. Father crashes the car. You can trash man comes. You know. Yes, it's yeah. I mean, that's uh, again the things that you don't get to see because when you're at office, like you're you know, it's 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 guarded around all the life things aren't happening. But if we're gonna work from home, like that's gotta be an expectation. Like I think it's there finally uh, moving forward. But we also have to have expectation that we shouldn't require or ex- expect our uh, employees, our team members, you know, to be sitting on a computer at seven thirty in the morning until eight o'clock at night. Like yeah. they have just a, a lifestyle. Just in case you came and sent an email, you yeah, know? you know, or like every time something dings and they don't answer right away, that's that's another like big, you know, bigger pet peeve of mine now too. And I, I kind of established that saying, hey, like anything after six p.m., if you email me, I'm not going to answer it. Mm-hmm. Like this is an emergency. You know, unless it's my, you know, uh, CMO or someone I have to talk to an advisory, I'm not answering it because like, this is my time. I have to put up guardrails and say, I have to protect my, my life too. And my own, um, mental state and my own health. And I think sometimes that, you know, we forget that, that we have to put those up at our own workplaces and say, this is where it stops. And, and as founders, as CEOs, like you have to start instituting that own policy in your company. That's part of your culture. And if you don't, and it's just going to be working uh, to death culture. Then you see what happens. Yeah, I, I pretty much suck at that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm all, 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 all on all the time. But I do tell my people, I tell them, hey, make sure you set your notifications, right? Yeah. And I tell them, you know, what time do you want to contact you? I do my best to do that, right? Yeah. But I tell them to set your notifications, right? Yeah. Like, and one thing too, I tell them, like, you know, like I'm talking about my, you know, my phone call thing. I'll tell them, if I ever call you, it's because I'm going to tell you we just paid $25 million yep. or something like something, either something really great or something really bad has happened, right? Oh, I, and the thing like last night I was about to send another email out. And the first thing I said is like, do I really need to send this email or can I wait till tomorrow or can I wait till Friday to, to tell the, or tomorrow afternoon to tell the person on the call. And I was like, you know, what? I can wait till tomorrow mm-hmm. afternoon. Like they don't need to know like this information right now at nine o'clock at night. Is it going to make a difference? I've already sent them two emails earlier today on different things. I can just wait till tomorrow afternoon to tell them, um, you know. And like I said, it also depends what their roles they can be. Yes. If it's an intern, you probably only send them at yeah. 9 p.m. Yeah. If you're CMO and you're doing a, a marketing. Uh, it's about to happen. Absolutely. Some kind of marketing program. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you're, like you're about to launch a product hunt tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah you, that's, that's again, all mission uh, or. Yeah, as a military, I love to say uh, it's all met TC's mission dependent, you know. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, for me, yeah, I may say that I, I have this guardrails up. I do work in the evening times, like, and that's ex- it's expected, but I do take that guardrail time and say, all right, this is for my wife. We're having dinner together. Family time's important. Okay, she goes to bed before I do. Cool. I can go get another hour of work in or something. And it's my time to get a little extra stuff done. And I think that will come like in the military, we're good, like, know what our like family members do. I think it's a good yeah. number of people do, like, I like, suppose you, you're doing some kind of good, big launch or something. 
and your, your employer tells you, hey, you know, my um, like something bad happens, right? Like their spouse leaves them or maybe, you know, the daycare quit, you know, OK, maybe yeah. I don't need to reach out to them in person the next couple of days. Right. Give them the space. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just you got to know your 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 employees, your team members. You got to like understand like you know, part of their lives. You know, if they're open to you know expressing and sharing it. Um, but you know, you also have to like you know build those relationships um, and, and know what's going on. Some of the things I do every Monday morning for one of our team meetings with our three interns, uh, even on Fridays as we close out, I'll ask them, "What are you doing this weekend?" And I got a lot a lot of that from the military, like asking my, you know, soldiers underneath me, uh, you know, saying, Hey, what are y'all doing this weekend? Just want to like know about your life a little bit more. And I got to learn like, this is what's going on. And a lot of times this conversation will lead to something else. And I'm like, crap, I didn't know about that. Oh, we have something else coming up in like a week or two that I need to move around because they're going to have something coming up. That's really important to them personally, or like, you know, significantly for their life. So like, I need to, you know, just what we're going to do. Um, so now I love hearing about what their, how their weekend went. And I love sharing about my weekend, you know, other things that I'm doing, my wife thinks I'm doing, my family here and enjoying like the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, people don't realize like you know, military, how involved you get with people's family, right? Like I tell a story all the time. Oh yeah. Like I'll never forget, I was commander in Italy and I got a call telling me that one of my soldiers, uh, teenage son got a DUI on the town of County, right? I don't think if you work for Microsoft or Boeing, your, your employee's uh, teenage son got a DUI, you, you're going to get called, no, right? on you. Yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, I used to check about it, you know, like my wife, other people, like, you know, I, we were in, in in a certain sense where their mom and their dads at the same time as leaders uh, were there to help grow them, uh, mature them uh, and educate them as well as make sure, you know, if they, you know, cross the line, you know, they receive the, the right amount of punishment. They see the right amount of, uh, you know, uh, training and other things to kind of, you know, change their uh, behaviors and decision patterns. But like uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating when I tell people, man, I used to get a call at, you know, 1 a.m. I had to go to the gate because when my soldiers came back, you know, you know, to the gate, you know, I had a drink or two too many and, and it shouldn't be driving, you know, stopped, was helped. Uh, we come in, get them or just mental health things that happen in the middle of the night, you know, or just breakups. Uh, like and I used to tell people like, we'd have to go check people's apartments to make sure that they keep it clean. Yeah. And if they are paying their bills on time, if they didn't pay their bills. And we got, you know, like we get nasty grams from, I used to know, hate that. like, you know, like somewhere to go, I also check somewhere. They will contact me. Like, like <laughs> I'm not going to give you the money. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's oh, the business just, is new to call the military, right? Yes, and it's just such a different dynamic than when you come out, and, and a lot of that has carried over for me of like the relationship piece and, and checking in and what yeah, do you relationships need? are important. And um, but yeah, I'm not going to be like, hey, did you pay your bills this weekend? Like when you got your money from the company? No, that's not. That's now out of my lane. That's out of thank, my control. Thank God, right? Yes, uh, or like, oh, you got a speeding ticket. Okay, I'll just, or you got arrested outside of the military. We'll see, wait, see what on the civilian side before we punish you on the military side. Like, none of that I have to worry about anymore. Um, and, and I don't have to worry about my phone unless it's something really emergency, like ringing at two in the morning or, you know, our staff duty being up like for 24 hours straight because we're waiting, you know, like for something. People sometimes call. ask, like, do you, do you miss it? And like, yeah, I do sometimes. I do. Then I remember staff duty. <laughs> I remember CQ. I'm like, no, I do not miss that crap. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe yeah. set a building just because I have to go in on a weekend to check, you know, the barracks because you got to make sure they clean the room because it's not their room. It belongs to the government. And they got to maintain it and take care of you. Like, oh man, just, yeah. But, exactly. Hey, it, it's, you can go on and on for that. It was, it was fun. Uh, but you're right. I do miss it at times. Um, there's, there's times like, man, can I put my uniform back on? 
you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll have to see. Oh, <laughs> my wife asked me one time, what do you do if they call you back? I said, I'm going to go smoke some ganja and put a tattoo on my neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the, uh, hard thing I try to explain to people too. Then it's like, Hey, as a commission officer, I, my commission's still there. Yeah, like so, it's yeah. there you know, for we're not, life. We're not, people don't realize we're not really retired. Yeah. They're just, they're just yep. paying us not to go into work. Exactly. <laughs> cause, cause yeah, like I joke around, they call me back in. Our country is a bad state. Yes. And they call me back in, especially like, you know, from, you know, medical injuries, you know, myself, I've experienced like, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go back in. It'd be to teach, you know, it'd be yeah. to educate that next front line that's going out there and, and my job skill. It wouldn't be for me to be on the front line. It just yeah. wouldn't happen. I'm not, you know, physically fit for doing that. And, and that's okay. But, you know, I recognize like, that's why I didn't want to lose my, I didn't want to resign my commission because I wanted to maintain it. I maintain my title. I maintain, mm -hmm. you know, that importance piece of like what my career history looked like. Uh, and then I, you know, able to be there if I'm ever need to be called back to the country. So Robert, changing subjects. Yeah. What is a social entrepreneur? <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, is that like a man of war make you feel good about themselves or what is Sometimes that? Sometimes it is. Uh, I'm just being honest. Um, and again, my opinion, I think for, for me, a social entrepreneur is, you know, an entrepreneur who's uh, improving a social impact of the world. Um, and, and, and that's very loosely of a definition. And, and I'm not going to sit here and try to say exactly what it is, um, you know, be honest, I don't even know 100% the definition out there. I know what it means for me. And it is being an entrepreneur that I am uh, making an impact on society uh, from a different standpoint of that the bottom line is making all the money in the world for me. Um, and, and that's, you know, and a lot of entrepreneurs are social entrepreneurs. They just don't call themselves that. Who decides if you make an impact? You do or some outside organization decides that? Uh, well, if it's an outside organization, then that's like where you try to go get your B certification from that someone certifies you. Uh, but if someone who really honestly decides that is your customers, it, it's the society decides that. Are you really making a social impact? You, you can write all the reports up all day long, but like, are you really making an impact unless society saying it or unless your customers who you're impacting are saying, yes, you are actually making an impact. And you're a company, you're a B certified social corporation. We are not. We are a, a C corp uh, is something of interest to me. It is something. Uh, but what is a B, B certified so, corp? Then? So B corp, a benefits corporation, and it, it depends where you're at. Some places, some states are different. Uh, here in Washington, they have a special purpose corporation. So basically saying that um, everything you do your for your mission, um, not every dollar has like, like, it's all about how much money like you spend toward outside things of towards your mission uh, versus how much money is like going back into um, uh, the shareholders and to, you know, your founders, the equity piece, the, um, the stock options. That's, you know, for the legal side of it, you know, one of the biggest uh, differences in understanding of how can you reinvest your, uh, you know, uh, end of year uh, extra revenue and everything. So B Corp, there is an organization that does certify them. Um, you know, you pay for it. Uh, it is a very lengthy process to uh, go through and it, it can be a challenge uh, sometimes, but there are ways of saying that you can be a social entrepreneur or that you have a social impact mission as a company without being a B Corp that you can still, you know, set up things like a foundation or that you can say that you are dedicating so much funding a year to go to toward certain social impacts. Uh, one way we look at it and we say for our company is that we support the sustainable developmental goals of the United Nations. There's, uh, yeah, 18, 19 of them. Uh, and there's different ones. The ones that we, I 
comes straight to mind, I always say that we are supportive of is reducing inequalities. And one of the inequalities is uh, hearing health around the world, you know, just not just here in the US, but around the world. Uh, that's why our mission is to improve the hearing health of the world. Uh, another one is around pay inequalities. Like how do we make sure we pay people, you know, the right amount uh, and, you know, not pay someone of color less money uh, or, you know, or a woman of less money as, you know, has historically been done. And how do we raise to make sure that we're improving equities uh, across the company? Because as we do it, others will see it and it kind of just spreads. Um, so. And it's a pretty hard process to get be certified, right? Um, I haven't really looked so much like in the full, full process, but you know, as I've talked with other companies, I've looked at it and have done it, it, it can be a, a lengthy piece of it. Um, you, you have to meet certain gates, uh, you know, milestones over time to make sure that you, um, you know, you meet what it is. Um, but again, there's just different ways. So like, you don't have to be a B Corp. Here in Washington, you just register as a special purpose corporation and you're basically a social impact company. Is there like any business benefit to doing this? Yeah, there are, you know, one, you get to, to be certified on it. So a lot of people may like want to only do business with be certified companies. Um, you know, that's so a lot of that happens. So it's, it's a, you know, a marketing tool as well for customers to know this is who you are and what you do. Uh, a lot of us, you know, as customers, consumers are, you know, uh, certain like-minded um, want to improve the world, then they're going to go to companies to shop from them versus going to companies they feel are like damaging the world. Um, so those are some of the benefits uh, for tax purposes. I don't want to speak so much to it, but there are certain tax purposes to it. I'm not a CPA, so I would talk to your CPA if it's worth doing it, but there are some tax uh, purposes for it um, because again, you're able to adjust your uh, uh, end of year uh, revenue, what you're coming in versus it going all the stocks and uh, paying out an equity, uh, then what you're able to reinvest either back into the company or invest into your social impact. Is this something you plan on doing with your company eventually? Uh, I've looked, you know, originally thought about, you know, being a B cert, um, I have to look more and decide like, is it the right fit for us? Like we can be again, a social impact company without being B certified. Um, you know, I'm not going to say no, we will never do it. Um, but it's, it's a decision that has to come as you, uh, advance your company and, and find the right strategic time to make sure that, yeah, now it's time to do it. Again, I can support sustainable development goals and publish that and then show how we're trying to reduce carbon footprint. I think about Allbirds, like how they're trying to go to net zero in a couple of years, like how much they're doing now. That's literally, you know, being a social impact company. Can you talk about emotional intelligence? Why I see like so many people lack emotional intelligence. <laughs> or they lack it or they like lack it. Lack it. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think the lack uh, thereof is um, it's a proximity piece. And I speak about this a lot in my uh, philanthropy about being proximate to different communities so you get to learn about it. So if you're a person that you know, doesn't uh, know anything about emotional intelligence uh, and none of your friends and none of the people you associate with, and it's something that's not of interest to you, it's just like anything else. Like if you're a person who doesn't play basketball or play any sports, like you're not proximate to it. Uh, so I think that is a big piece to it. Um, I mean, it's been around for a minute. Daniel Goldman has been like, you know, the father of it. And it's been around for years. Um, and, it, and I think uh, another part is, is it's taught in higher education. Not everybody has the opportunity to go to higher education or go to the right colleges and, and have the right uh, programs to actually teach it. Um, so there's that lack piece of it. It's something that, that could be taught in our, you know, public education a lot more um, and making sure that people, you know, uh, understand it. But at the end of the day, you could be taught it, but if you don't practice it, 
you know, every day. It's just like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, you lose it. Uh, and I think a lot of people just don't exercise it. They may write about it, know about it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be EI and, you know, I'm going to improve it. And they don't continue reading to improve it for themselves. So what are your four agreements? Uh, so... Yeah, there's an amazing book called The Four Agreements. Uh, actually, a follow-on called The Fifth Agreement. Um, you know, but I continue. You know, subscribe to that. You look on my LinkedIn. I've you know written it out. Uh, so you know, the, f the first one is you know, uh, you uh, be impeccable with your word. Um, basically, meaning whatever you say, like stand to what your word says. Like your word is your bond, as like the old saying goes. Um, you know. It, not many, like the only thing many of us have is our word. Uh, and so much of it, you know, it gets lost. So be impeccable with your words, speak the truth, speak your truth um, is, is the first one. A, the second one being, um, I might get the second and third one out of, out of order, but it doesn't matter. Uh, don't take things personally. There's so much that we do uh, that, you know, and it happens in so many relationships. Like you think about, you know, when you're dating somebody, they haven't texted you back. Like, oh my gosh, it must be me. Well, don't take things personally. Or like if you didn't get a job and or you didn't get a contract, you didn't get a grant, uh, you didn't get to promotion and you take these things personally because you, you know, you're beating yourself up about it. There may be something you just don't know. That There's so many variables going on here. No yes. idea. Uh, so like trying to understand that you shouldn't take things personally. Uh, and it kind of goes along with the, the, the third one, which is don't make assumptions. Like we make so many assumptions, you know, about like what's happening in the world. Uh, and the way not to make assumptions is to actually ask clarifying questions. Just ask, like, if you didn't get a promotion, why did I not get the promotion? And it's not about being rude to, you know, your boss or anything, or why didn't I get the grant if they're able to help, or why didn't I get the contract? Just ask the clarifying question. What could I have done better, you know, uh, instead of making the assumption that you should improve X, Y, or Z, or that you suck at something? Most of the times, it's not even that case. It's just, again, like you said, it's different variables. Uh, and, and the last one is um, to, to do your best at all three. Okay. So time I mean, all together. Time all together. Try to practice all three at the same time. And a lot of times, we may only be able to practice one or two at a time, or maybe just one. But how do you make sure you bring all three together and actually uh, approach that every time? You're talking about not taking first. Like a lot of people, they, they apply for a job, they get the interview, like the one, first of all, like people don't realize there's like 250 applications each job. Yeah. So if you just got a phone interview and you made it like that top five interviews in person, you've, you've, you've done something right, right? Absolutely. I mean, like I remember like it's someone who helped other people get jobs all the time. Uh, as like, and again, every agency is different, like King County, like using this website, governments.com uh, uh, for applying for jobs and like how their whole process was totally different, just submitting your resume. And, and I was not getting, you know, um, interviews at all. So I was taking it personally because and then I went and asked a clarifying question and someone said, hey, you need to fill out the whole profile that matches your resume, just kind of like how USA Jobs does. But nowhere on there it says that. Like anytime you go to like, you know, Indeed or somewhere, you who, who fills all that out? Like you just like, cool, whatever, I'm just gonna put my resumes on here. But for uh, government jobs, uh, for the county, for city, for municipalities, before they ever see your resume, they read the whole profile and everything's in there. So then if there's nothing in there, they just skip right over you. But if, if I never asked that clarifying question after not getting interviews and that instead of taking it personally, I would have never known that and I would never be able to fix the issue. And other people don't realize too, like you, 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 your top five years interview, you still get the job and they take a person, right? What I do wrong? Or maybe just maybe the other person more qualified than you, right? Absolutely. Maybe just maybe the other person would just had a better qualification, better resume, better interview. He just outperformed you, you know? Yeah. And, and I always tell people uh, it's timing and luck. Like, 
you know, for me, you know, my, my career in the way I wanted it to, and it was about timing, it was about luck. And I, and I recognize that. Um, so you, you can't, you can sit and beat yourself up over it, but why, like, why bring that extra anguish on yourself? Like you just, you, you learn from it, you move to the next one and you try even harder. And, and that's, uh, like, like, you know, last week I, I bombed on a pitch here. Uh, we work for VR. I've never frozen ever in my life. Uh, there's so many different variables of why I did, um, but I then wrote an article about it. And I remember, you know, like saying at the end of it uh, from the movie Rocky uh, Balboa about, it, you know, it's not about how hard you get hit, but how hard you hit back and, and keep going forward. And you have to keep going forward. Yeah. So, so I, I do this job for seminar sometimes for costumes of veterans. And I talk about the luck, right? I say two examples. One person interview at nine in the morning. They're kind of qualified, not really, you know, they're oh, just, yeah. they're like a throwaway candidate. But there were even four people, all those four people have a great weekend, celebrations, they're in a great mood. Yep. The person actually gets to ask the questions wrong, they give them the right answers, you know, everything's yep. hunky-dory, they're fine, they're feeling good about it, right? The next candidate interviews at two in the afternoon. He's way more qualified. This, he or she's way more qualified. I mean, they should get the person's job right. However, same four people in the interview, but at 10, one of them find out, um, the mother-in-law's coming to visit, right? So in a bad mood. Other yep. one has an accident. Other one gets yelled by the boss. So three of the four are in pissed off mood from yep. the interview, right? It's completely different dynamic, yeah, right? And even that person who did it at 2 p.m., the, the interviewee, the interviewers you know, from the company could be just tired. It's after lunch. And they're like, I'm just in a bad mood. So then that person set up the bad experience because of, you know, everybody else. Uh, and yeah, it's absolutely luck. It's, it's about the timing. And you, you have to go and, and strike hard when you can and strike, you know, and smile and like hold a positive attitude about it. Yeah, it's, it's so much luck and water, right? Yes. I mean, it's crazy. Hey, yeah. So talk about being in the UW Husky 100, because I, I know that's a really big deal right there. Yeah. I mean, there's like 20,000 students at UW, I think so. Correct. So that's a big yeah. deal. And they only um, select so many of the, the graduate students. Uh, I'm not sure a number off the top of my head. Um, it, and I, you know, I, I knew this opportunity is available and it's something like that, you know, I aspired to. Um, and, you know, it recognizes like Huskies who are, you know, doing things on and off campus. It's, it's not just, okay, how great are you doing your work? Are you making straight A's, you know, at school, but like what impact are you making in, in society? And as you know, read my bio, you know, my bio at the end, talking about like, I, I have a, you know, a purpose still in society of doing different things. Um, so I was fortunate at the, uh, master entrepreneurship program, the, uh, person in director who runs that part, you know, was able to like submit my application for it. You know, I had great people who uh, reviewed it and, uh, submitted, you know, recommendations for me. And it, it was challenging because I had to do a video and talk about myself and that sometimes can be hard. And like, you got 60 seconds to say everything you've done or do, you know, and, it's so a pretty, pretty competitive process. Very competitive process. I think uh, if you go to the website, there's only like maybe three or four business students on there. I think I'm the only graduate business student. And and, and I don't know what their selection process across, um, but I also do recognize that a lot of people on the campus either don't apply or don't know about it from like the business schools or from certain schools. It's those programs that do a lot of social impact you know, like the Evans School, who's a public administration and like all into the field or, you know, if it's public health, like those or, you know, schools know really hard about and push for students to apply yeah. to it. 
the three people I know besides you, they were like out of medical school or some type of biochemistry or something. Yeah. Something non-business. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, go uh, the Husky 100 on the website. You, you'll literally you can separate it out by year and look at by programs, and you'll see. I think if I remember correctly, like three students for 2021 who were business students out of the hundreds. So is it like some kind of life lifetime alumni organization? Yeah, you can like pull back on and, and use resources from. Yeah, it's uh, I'm waiting. Like just supposed to be following resources again. Being a COVID year, so many things have changed and what happens. Normally, there's a big celebration. Y'all come in you know, uh, make, you know, a big deal uh, of it, which it should be. Um, so like you do have that resource to fall back on. Um, you, you do have that, you know, prestige, you know, it's, it's, you've, you've everybody's seen them. I mean, like sometimes you'll see those best 40 under 40 or 30 and 30 that mean nothing. This is not one of those. This actually has a holding. And it, I think it has a special holding mostly probably for like a younger generation, you know, not someone who's accomplished a lot in their lives. Um, I can, make, I can much, make you go yeah. to a college W and you get to put top Husky 100 your resume. I mean, especially yeah, in Seattle, that'd be a big deal. Yes. Yeah, People I, know I, I would look for it. Like if someone told me they're top 100 and they come out of their program and you know, they were a human center design engineer student or or, you know, they were a mechanical engineer, but like, yeah, this, this person has it going on. Like they want to make a difference, not just in school, but outside of school. And that's who I look for. And that's a good point. How like you, like you see someone, you don't know the full story and you do like your, your like perspective changes or yep. her work. There's a lady who works there named Reagan Derek, right? She's been a couple months, you know, I've talked to her high and by whatever, not really much. So after I've been on Thursday, I found out that she's in the Washington State National Guard. She's a 92 Fox. So she's like petroleum Petroleum. Yep. And she's an aviation unit, so she's she's a hot refueling. And I was aviation for four years, so I know exactly what hot refueling is. I'm like, oh shit, you're a badass. Yeah, like I mean, so my perspective just changed like immediately, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's so many different identities we all hold that we all don't see it at, at the same at you, like, time. You're like, you know, she's screaming proper, you know, you yep. never think she's doing the hot re- like hot refueling. I see you in the army, maybe, <laughs> but how are you feeling? Like, yeah. Oh shit! My, I, mean, I, I think that that's a big. My uh, view is definitely changed of you. I mean, we we don't wear uniforms outside of the military. Like I wore uniform. I had certain badges on, certain tabs on that, like people instantaneously recognize. They're like, yeah. all right recognition and you know giving street credit for just that before even meeting me um and, and that's the difference outside you know we don't have a uniform on i don't have i think one of the greatest sayings that I've probably ever said in my life is like as i left the military i never want to have what to what's on my chest to find me as a person yeah and that's one reason why i didn't want to do a gs 13 job with the military like <laughs> i want to like do a complete break right yeah <laughs> I, I think there's there's that need to go you know work uh, back in the gs world or go back work for government um, there's that don't need to like you find your own niche in your path, but uh, I, it's sooner or later, like you, you know, you gotta know what else is happening um, in the world. You know, right now I think it was like 9% of the population are veterans, maybe 10%. So like there's a whole nother 90% of the population that you don't know about, that you've never been a part of. Uh, so when you leave the military, go back and join it. Like don't, you don't have to be in the same veteran circles as everybody else. Like go find non-veteran friends. If you're on active duty right now, find non-military friends, like learn because you're going to come back to that part of society. Um, and it is only going to help your Everyone uh, transition to it eventually. Yes. And it's just, you know, and, and the more you struggle, it, a lot of it can do on yourself. Or like if you're just stuck in those circles and you're perpetuating the same challenges and complaining about the same things versus, uh, not saying that's what everybody does versus going out and, all right, I'm going to join like social venture partner Seattle and be a partner, uh, be on the board of sound discipline and like actually meet people who have never been proximate to in my life, never knew anything about these types of communities and I'm so much better for it. 
so back to Reagan, right? So we're talking, and another word person, Kelsey Alford, right? Is there, right? And the look on Kelsey's face when Reagan is <laughs> explaining, like, hot fuel, refueling, how the helicopter doesn't stop, you know, yep. that sparks are flying, right? And you see the Kelsey's look on her face, like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like, I mean, so much danger in our jobs. And, like, and, you know, and it, it is amazing when you come out and you're like, yeah, I was in charge, you know, moving $150 million worth of equipment and, you know, over a thousand people. I'm like, you? I'm like, yeah, like, it's, it's just another day at the, at the office yeah. that when we start thinking about it. And oh, by like, the way, that's my, that's my extra duty. That was, yeah, my, that exactly. was my real job. Yeah, I mean, that's that was like an additional assignment as a battalion, you know, as a logistics officer to a field artillery unit. Like, that's not what I got trained for. That's not what I went to school for. Um, but I fit, uh, we sit in those additional positions at times or as a movement officer, like that's not my full time job, but I'm still responsible as additional duty. And it's just, yeah. And if you it, feel like that, it's just like you feel like a full time job. Yeah. And it, your it, career would be ended. It is mind boggling when you, to a lot of other people are like, wait a minute, like that's what you're responsible for. And like, yeah, like we come out and that's, you know, that's why a lot of my most veterans are high performers because we're, we're held to a different, you know, standard. Like what 21 year old who comes out of college who's a commission officer is in charge of millions of dollars worth of equipment at a company? Well, Unheard of. You know, like how many 21 lieutenants, you know, 21 out of OCS, RTC, where's the case would be your commission place in charge of 40 people and all the yeah. million dollars, right? 21 yeah. years old. No, nowhere. Like, if you go to a ball, you might be, you might get charged, you're put in charge of a pin if you're lucky. Yeah, maybe you have a couple of people work for you or and that's it. But no, it's, it's uh, and, it, and that's what sets us apart. Uh, and it goes back to that, like, a hey, companies who are out there, you, you're not hiring veterans. Why not? Like, you're, you're missing out on this, you know, amazing, uh, you know, dynamic group that can change your company and change your perspective. It's a challenge, a story I tell. My first job, I worked at, at a seafood company in Alaska, right? And I purposely, like, you know, I don't want to be like A plus checklist, all, you know, take over, right? I purposely, at least I thought I personally slowed down, right? So after 60 days, the, the guy said, hey, Jason, you're doing a great job, but I need for you to like, kind of slow down. People say you're making them look bad. I thought to myself, guy, I'm working at 30% capacity right now. Oh, Do you want me to work day on, day off? You know, you know. Yeah, I, I sent an email um, as I was finished this master's to my friends and family. I said, thank you for an amazing year. Thank you for all your support. And I, I listed out maybe like 10 things if that I had done. And some of the people responded back and never been to military. It's like, gosh, there's people who never accomplished maybe three or four of these things their whole life. And like, you did this all in a year. Like, I don't understand how. No, and I, and I, and we're like, I don't understand how you don't. It, well, yeah. And, it's, I, and I, I'm absolutely right there with you. Like, I've got to slow down. Um, and even my wife's like, sometimes like, you know, if you do slow down, you're probably going to die. But, yeah. um, that you, you know, sooner or later I will slow down, but right now I'm not going to. Yeah, I try I to take too a break. Much. I, I went back to crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I took two weeks off of after grad school, <laughs> you know, I was like unplugged from everything. But at toward the end of that two weeks, I was in New Orleans. I was like, all right, I got to get back to work. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm itching. Like I'm, you know, I got a company trying to get off the ground, you know, correctly. Like, so, sometimes yeah. I complain I'm doing too much. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Oh, look, there's a project I can do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think we're natural uh, born uh, problem solvers or we're trained to be problem solvers. Like, we always want to help other people. We always like if a veteran calls, like we want to drop what we're doing to help them. Or if friends or family do call us, same thing. But um, yeah, we, we have to take breaks and we like we have to be able to be more focused. Uh, like for me right now, my two focuses as CEO, uh, founder is product development and uh, raising funds. So... I want to tie Reagan in and uh, why well, I say always be recruiting, right? Always be recruiting, right? So now that I know Reagan is like this, you know, badass babe, so to speak, and hot refueling stuff, like, man, she can handle hot refueling. She can handle working for a startup, right? Yeah. So maybe down the line, you know, 
I have a slot for her or what she wants to do. She just graduated with a business degree in UW. Maybe down the line, okay, maybe I can reach out to her, right? Yeah. Now I know that she can handle it, right? You, yep. If you handle how you're feeling, you probably handle working a startup. Yeah. I, I mean, not everybody can. Uh, and that's something I, I, you know, paid attention to. Um, you know, and something I've been really mindful, like, like, we have three interns right now and, and a big piece was like, they could have gone and intern at a, you know, a fortune 100 company, fortune 500 here in the Seattle area. Um, but they tell me they, they wanted to, one, our mission was important to them. And two, they uh, wanted to actually see what a startup does and learn. And I was like, that's phenomenal. I, I wish when I was, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, almost, you know, before 21, like, hey, I get to learn what a startup does or hey, I get to be in this type of setting um, because you, you just don't get that all the time. Like if ever. I had no idea what a startup was like. <laughs> When, when I left the army, this guy reached out to me, hey, can we meet about how the army's have you found a job? I have a startup. My question was, what the blank start. is a startup? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no clue, right? No concept. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and yeah, that's, now that was a thing for me. And I, I left, I was like, I, and I took a break. And I think you definitely know, I took a break for like a year, year and a half away from all veteran organizations, all things, because I had to find myself. Um, and that's the other part I, I would say for like, there's the military, there's the out of school. Like, you know, the gap year is huge. So I called it my gap year after I left the uh, the army, after I, you know, uh, left vetted, that I took a whole year off, volunteered, do what I want to travel, like focus on my mental and my physical health. And it made all the difference. Yeah, I tell people all the time, if they can, like you leave the military, take some time off, right? I but, didn't. But too many of us like start working while I'm transitioning to leave. Yep. I tell people, you know, you're able to economic situation different. you can, take yeah. some time off, right? What, 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 what most veterans do before we get out, retire? They buy a house, they buy a car, you know, the kids yep. about to go to school, right? And they have to find a job and they find a job that sucks. Well, I mean, I even was preaching it all the time. Take your two months, take your time off, take six months off and get a job. And I didn't follow my own <laughs> guidance, my recommendations. You know, I, I took a couple of weeks off, left the military, went back home, see family. And I just went right back to work, you know, remotely uh, for nonprofit. And I, I, you know, realized like, you know, later, less than a year later, like, why do I have to do this? Like, I don't have to work right now. Like I'm in grad school. Uh, I can move back to Seattle. I can take a pause for myself and like redefine who I am uh, and make sure I, you know, I can come out better than I was. Cause like, you know, many of us, including myself, like I faced a lot of demons when I left the military. Like there's a lot of unresolved things that just weren't uh, taken care of. And it was, truly impacting uh, my mental and my physical health. So, uh, you know, that year taken off, you know, was what saved my life. So talk about your goal of being a TEDx speaker. Yeah, um, I mean, I've helped with other people, you know, either run a TEDx, not at like the, you know, bigger level, but like a local level, uh, you know, been in, you know, involved, helping other people prepare for it. And it's just, and it goes back to like last week, you know, bombing on a pitch, uh, like, I. I I've been doing public speaking almost all my life out of high school, you know, did debate, uh, you know, from, you know, what they call experimentary uh, speech, you know, get a couple of minutes, read over a topic and then go right in there and give a, you know, a five minute speech about it. Uh, so I think for me, like the natural progression is, is having a TEDx talk is being able to go out and be able to share with the world, like my own experiences. Uh, and that's what I love about a TEDx is it's, it's educational to the, uh, to a point of like what you take from it, or it's comical, you know, to learn things. Uh, so for me, you know, 
I want to express who I am. I want to share to the world what I've done and where I'm going to go or express like what the importance of like racial equity can be uh, or just what philanthropy is. So there's just so many different topics, you know, potentially go talk to or even just talking about my life being a multiracial and what it means, you know, to grow up, you know, being that, but with white skin and the differences that I got to saw my younger brother who doesn't have white skin. You have a timeline, like you have a deadline yeah. in place or you do this I, by this date. I, originally I had said when I came out, I want to do it like in two years uh, when I came out of the military. Uh, right now it, I, you know, like I probably say, I guess, you know, if I'm going to set a deadline for myself, it'd be by this time next year. You're going to do it um, in Seattle or I'll do it here in Seattle. Okay. I know it's usually in the fall. I believe that uh, Seattle or Seattle's TEDx is so like not this year, probably be like next year. That's a pretty competitive process too. Look at it. It, it is. I remember the one that was down. Was that Tacoma? They did one in Tacoma that Shelly yeah, Willis University put on. in Washington, I think Tacoma. Okay, added. okay. I'm thinking about the one they did on JBLM that Shelly Willis did. Oh, okay. No, yeah. um, maybe was that on? Maybe it was on JBLM because uh, Minority Veterans of America. Because that's where. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It was yeah. 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 So that was like a, a small local organized one. So I'd be happy to do something mm -hmm. like that. You know, or first off, they get that practice, uh, get it done. Because yeah, when you go to like a national one or like go to like the main TEDx, like it's very competitive to get into it. Uh, so yeah, finding a, a smaller local one that gets it. You know, I try to go to. Toastmasters to be able to improve. And, and, you know, but the thing is you got to find one speech or one, you know, thing you want to talk about, build that out and then continue refining that. Um, I think about the burden to hand principle to one thing. Great first and just keep building on it. So Robert, you talk some about your pitch on Thursday. So I'll, I'll be honest <laughs> with you, right? If oh, someone would have told me beforehand, Hey Jason, you have to bet all your military pay on the one person who would not freeze up, not mess <laughs> exactly. up. Exactly. I would have put the money in you, right? You you would have, it would not have. I would have bet that you would not mess up. Like, oh, yeah. If I, if I had to pick one person I'd mess oh, up, yeah. I would bet all my money on you. And what's funny, like, so I'm, I'm the MC of the event, and so I'm not really pay, paying attention to the picture, right? <sighs> I'm like on my phone trying to remember who's coming up next, oh. so I know what to say. And I hear like silence, right? So I'm not paying attention. It's just for like forever. And, and like, <laughs> so maybe Rob is like simulating like, how deaf people don't hear, right? Yep. And I hear, I apologize. Nope. I said, oh shit, what's going on? Oh, right? yeah. And, and, and it's like, I know. Like, so something I had, I had a great uh, mentor tell me like for any time I give a pitch speech, like go listen to your hype music. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that. There's so many different variables that played a part. Mm -hmm. And I'm a person who's going to go analyze it and take it apart and see why. And, and I'll just you know point out some of the things. One, I'm a, I'm a routine person. I didn't, I didn't listen to my like hype music or like get ready for it. And I, actually that song is uh, Lose Yourself by Eminem. Like lost into it every time I go to a pitch competition, uh, practice it. Uh, you never make that mistake again. I, I never <laughs> make that mistake again. Like my wife sat there and she's like, I've never seen you just be blank face. Like I've never seen that. Uh, and I'm moving down each other a year and a half. Uh, and she's seen me pitch many times, see me uh, speech as, uh, speak as well. Um, but like variables of that, the variables of, you know, not enough sleep, like, and all these are on me. Like nothing of this is an external thing that stopped me from being able to do it correctly. It's all things that happened because I uh, set that, you know, in, in play and, you know, things from being up too late, working on grants, uh, you know, um, practicing, you know, a little too much, probably, you know, and you know like so just, this yeah. thing is practicing too much. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had it in, in. I think what, you know, and I, I did it uh, for my recovery. Basically, it was like, let me just make fun of myself. I got to say something. And that's when I wrote in, you know, like an article literally the next morning and published it. I was like, hey, uh, I didn't walk off the stage. There's part of my mind that says just walk away. 
like that everybody goes through that. Uh, I didn't do it. I just said, you know what? Hey, this happens to somebody every time. Why not me tonight? Uh, and then I just said what I think I needed to say. And I just walked off and, you know, I, you know, you learn from it. You know, yeah. Yeah. So. I think everyone does have a routine. Like my routine is like when I practice for a speech or even like that, like what I had to say to the MC, like I can't practice for anyone or sorry, I can't do it. Yeah. Right. I can't like, like, I can't practice in front of Robert Wright and do my thing. I have to go, I have to like say to myself three times, do a script walk around and find out, okay, I'm, I'm good, right? You know, and it's not like it was, a, it was a script I didn't know. And, and I wanted to go up there to actually give like the pitch. And you want to go off the cuff. And then when you don't want to go up there and like, just you know, talk about me or military. So I actually wanted to get the point across what we're trying to do, uh, why it's important, you know, to work on hearing health um, and, you know, let people know like what's next for us. It, and just somewhere along the line, you know, my brain just froze um, as I, and it wasn't even about, you know how many people were there it may have just been part of the camera or whatever but it, it wasn't even really that it's just some reason i stood there and it just froze and, and it happens uh and my mind just went blank and, and i was like oh crap i felt like 20 minutes now what do i say i'm sorry oh crap it happened again shoot all right now I just stop trying to do what you're trying to do and just do what feels comfortable and natural but having said that you know those are always a positive right and the positive for you was the fact you know andrew clown was able to give a lesson going, yeah right? you know the fact you know we all have loved ones you know yep. stuff that happens you know and oh, yeah he would never done that if that happened right you know no, no. like i would have never experienced that and, and like so when i was going up for promotion in the military i you know e6 e5 only been in for a little while like i was ready to go for it i felt and like my boss uh, my raider came up to me it's like no i'm not sending you know I'm like why uh, and he's like because you haven't felt enough like, you haven't learned enough experiences to know what to do to take care of those who are underneath you mm -hmm. and was it right or wrong who knows but i understood the point of why he said that um that you have to Bill, or you have to get more life experiences to improve yourself. And like last uh, week was a great life experience for me to improve myself and realize, you know, it will happen to you and it's okay if it happens. Just know what to do when it does happen. It was great for you. If you do the TEDx talk, you come out, tie that into your TEDx <laughs> talk, right? Here's a great speech. And oh, by the way, a few, a few years ago, I totally bombed this pitch, you know, yeah. in front of like 25 people here. I, I, and I, you know, just went off on this like TEDx talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, it, and that's the great way uh, you see a lot of comedians uh, speak about that sometimes, like if you're doing satirical comedy or you want to make fun of a regime or, you know, uh, something along that line. Um, sometimes it's it's easier to make fun of what they uh, are trying to do, you know, make fun of a policy versus make fun of that regime. Uh, so that night, you know, the, I remember watching you know, those videos and learning and reading that and saying, you know what, it's I just need to make fun of myself or make a mistake and it's okay that I made a mistake. It happens to everyone, right? Cause people don't realize or maybe they don't remember like when you know, Dave Chappelle has had his famous show, he left, was gone for like five, six years. Yeah. He started doing stand up again, right? And he was bombing. Oh yeah. He was getting booed, like yep. Dave Chappelle was getting booed. Yeah, cause he hadn't done for so long. Like yeah. he was horrible at it, right? And thus, and, and again, a COVID year and like um, a lot of us haven't done this in person. That was literally the first uh, live event, you know, I had actually spoken at like publicly uh, not just on the zoom and it's so different to do it on a zoom because you, you can feel you comfortable. the notes right here yeah you know. you, like have it on your screen like there's different things you have different keys no, uh, you know you don't worry about you know connecting you. with people you know yeah in, in your you know in your own house or your own little you know cubicle of a room or something and it's just a different atmosphere a different feel um so yeah you know I'd rather have it happen now than wait until I'm like in front of a major like pitch competition again and like get up there and blow it, you know, not to say that I will or not to say I won't, but you know, it's just a difference. So.
So Robert, talk some about your company. Like, talk about how the idea came about, the, the, yeah. the, the origin story. What are you focus on right now? And what's your big vision for the company moving forward? Yeah, so the origin story literally happened right as before COVID happened, uh, and that's kind of what you know, you know pushed me into it. Uh, I've been wearing a hearing aid for the last seven years. Uh, I lost uh, most of my hearing uh, in my left ear. I lost most of my ear bones. Um, then I have a titanium eardrum now. About uh, six years ago, it got put uh, into place. So. Uh, February of 2020, I went to University of Washington. They had a, uh, a guest speaker lecture about accessibility. Uh, and they're going to speak, you know, of course, of hearing, invisible disabilities, other things. So I went there and my hearing aid was broken, <laughs> the mold of it. Uh, it's another whole long story of my challenges with having this. Um, so I asked for a hearing assist device. First time I ever asked for it, I just want to see what it was like. And for everybody who remembers what a Walkman looks like with a foam headset, that's literally what it handed me. It's a Walkman what? device with a foam headset. I'm like, in 2020? Exactly. That's literally what I said to my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time. I was like, it's like, actually, like, seriously, they just hand me something that looks like a Walkman. And I'm sitting about from me to you, maybe a couple more feet from a person front row. I put it on and it's not working. Like, it's staticky. It's not picking up the signal from the microphone. So uh, long story short, like they have in these systems is called a loop uh, feedback system. So it's basically like an FM tra transmitter, you know, just like the radio. Uh, so the person who's speaking in the microphone at the uh, podium, you know, transmits uh, to the FM system that then transmits down to my hearing assistive device, you know, the Walkman. Uh, and that wasn't working. And I was just telling myself, like, again, it's 2020. Why can't I pull out my AirPods and connect my iPhone to this FM system? So that led me down this whole rabbit hole about FM systems, how to improve accessibility, like for those who are hearing, uh, who have hearing loss like myself. Uh, I try not to use the word hearing impaired. I try to say we're not impaired. We just have, uh, we, we, we have a disability with a big A inside of there. Um, so that led me around a rabbit hole. And then I started learning about my own hearing aid. Like, I didn't even know the brand of my hearing aid was. And I've been wearing it for six years. Uh, I like the how that start like comparison. You use like going to the eye store and going to the hearing aid store. Yeah, like, like when that, you that, go I mean, like to me, that can tell you a story right exactly. there. Exactly. Like when you go get, uh, you can go to you know whatever uh, Warby Parker, and there's all these glasses on the wall. You can see all the brand names, and you get to select the one you want. When I went to my audiologist on active duty in the VA, there was no wall of hearing aids for me to select from. There was no little cut sheet that handed to me and said, hey, which one of these is cool for you? Which one would you like? It was, all right, we're gonna give you this hearing aid. I don't know the name of the company. I didn't know what it does. I didn't even know hearing aids have Bluetooth in it and mine doesn't. And that was just frustrating as I learned that. And I was like, this is wrong. This is BS. Uh, something needs to be done. So I learned that there was a, a new uh, law that was passed in the U.S. Uh, 2017, the uh, FDA Reauthorization Act that then said, hey, Congress told the uh, FDA, we need you to open up the over-the-counter uh, market space for hearing aids. Uh, so then that's when I started doing more research, started like doing product market fit, looking at the um, what the market looks like realizing by 2050, uh, hearing loss globally will double. Um, right now it's about uh, almost 500 million people have some form of hearing loss here in the US. It's uh, close to 40 million. And most people who have mild, moderate hearing loss like myself, either one, don't know it, or two, just feel like get along without a hearing aid right now. Um, just like when you like start thinking you need glasses, but you're okay, you don't need them just yet. I can still drive my car, that's okay. But when you can't see right and you need to get them, then you get them. Uh, but the thing with hearing is when you lose your hearing, it's gone forever. Like you ain't getting it back. You ain't going to get PRK for your, your ears or, you know, LASIK. Uh, so it's gone. Um, there's a lot of 
late uh, adult um, impacts that we are now learning and recognizing when you lose your hearing. So for myself, uh, I have mild and moderate hearing loss. I'm at 300, 400% uh, of a uh, more likely to uh, develop onset early, early onset Alzheimer's versus someone who doesn't have it. I know that now. So if I don't work on my brain and train the uh, cognition piece of it by wearing a hearing aid, I'm not going to be able to stave that off. Is there a stat somewhere that says like how percent of people having to have a hearing test since elementary school? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, don't know what the true stat is out there, but during our customer research discovery, every person I asked like, Hey, when the last time you got your hearing test, they couldn't even tell me. Most people can't even remember. Unless it was somebody knew they had hearing loss and they just went and got it. And it was, and I was like, I was befuddled by it because every year I got a hearing test in the military. Now, if you're a certain government jobs, you know, DOT, Department of Transportation, yeah, you get a hearing test. But if you're out in the civilian world, like it's, it's just something that's not required. I think uh, Congress now has pushed it. So like if you have Medicare, uh, Medicaid, like you're gonna get, or yeah, Medicare, you're gonna get a hearing test every year, um, you know, for certain reasons. Um, but yeah, it's just not pushed. And hearing loss is a progressive, uh, as you age, it's it's not an if, but it's it's a it's a win. You are going to lose some hearing. It just happens. Can you talk about how you do your idea validation in more detail? Say that again. How do you do your idea idea validation? Oh, like audiology, like how do so when you go in for an audiology um, and you see them, or even a hearing aid specialist that's going to fit you, uh, or even like uh, some of your primary care doctors, they just do a pure tone uh, hearing test. You know, and it is a test. It's just doing it. The screening is the whole process. So words uh, matter. Um, so they'll do a pure tone if, if and the, the challenge there is, again, going back to classes, like if I tell somebody I got 20-20 vision, they exactly know what I mean. I tell somebody I got mild, moderate hearing loss and I'm uh, 20 decibels less than the 60 hertz, like I'm all talking Greek now to them. And that is something in our industry that like, there is no like a standard number. I can't say, oh, I got a three out of a five in my left ear or five out of five in my right ear because uh, you're looking at different, you know, levels of frequency and different levels of loss. Uh, so as the audiologist learns that through the hearing test, you may do a speech recognition uh, test where certain letters, uh, consonants, or certain letters together like CH, SH, you may not recognize because of your hearing loss at that frequency um, and at that decibel. And I have some of that too, or you may have high frequency loss where you can't hear high frequency. So you don't understand a lot of some of the words out there. So they'll do those two tests, come back, they'll say, cool, this is what we see as your uh, hearing loss level. We're gonna order you a hearing aid. And then when it comes in, we're gonna adjust it. We're gonna fit it to your ear, fit it to this uh, level of loss. And then you go about your merry way until you need to have it adjusted or fixed, or uh, you get your next checkup. Um, you know, the challenge, the problem with some of this is that a hearing aid costs about average $2,500. Some people pay six grand for a hearing aid. Some people have to pay for two of them. And I always made the jokes during my pitches in the beginning of this a year ago is, hey, instead of, uh, you know, you can get two hearing aids or you can buy a car. Like you can go get a used car for $12,000. Like why do people have to choose between I got to drive or I need to hear? Like both are, you know, hearing is also not a necessity uh, defined mostly uh, by the, you know, a lot of the medical insurance companies. Um, it's not a necessity device to have a hearing aid. Um, that's trying to change right now in Congress. So I'm going back to the whole process piece of it. Uh, as you're adjusting it and you get it, um, then you just, you continually go see an audiologist every year that get it adjusted. Some people don't go back and that's the other challenge. When you pay $2,500, you're paying for future services of an audiologist. And if you don't go back, you basically just gave someone free money away. So 
the, so the Herentist army does not anything like the Herentist you just described. No, it's it's still the uh, it's the same. Uh, pure tone Herentist are just like the beeps you hear at different frequencies at different you know. But intervals. army was like, oh, see, I haven't heard nothing in ten seconds. Let me raise my hand. Right, exactly. Like, like, like you memorize and, and, and it, and it starts playing tricks on you. Right. Yep. I, I had to go to the audiologist uh, here at the VA when I first, you know, like as I got out and I was like, I told him straight away, I was like, hey, when you give me a hearing test, don't give me the general pure tones. I need, uh, I can't remember the number or whatever. I need this other pure tone because I have most of it memorized. Like my brain remembered it or my brain thinks it hears that tone. And I'm going to hit the button incorrectly. They're supposed to be able to notice that and adjust for it. But you can also, once you learn the pattern recognition of it and it beeps and you wait a couple of seconds, it's going to beep again. So you can cheat on your hearing test for the pure tone. You can't cheat on the uh, hearing screening in a sense, because you're hearing people speak words like under like a wind conditions or a restaurant, and you're trying to either repeat them or select them on a screen if you're doing it virtually. So, I mean, it's it's, it's the same test uh, from both the military and the civilian side, just um, the speech recognition is what really makes a little bit of a difference. There's about five, I think, variations of it. Um, not every ologist uh, agrees on which one to use. And what's your vision for the company? So vision for the company. Uh, so we're not just, you know, focusing on a hearing aid. Like our mission is to improve the hearing health of the world. Uh, so I, I you know, used to say, and we're still defining more of our strategic narrative is like we do this, you know, uh, through engagement, education and providing like innovative solutions. Engagement is like today. I'm trying to you know, engage the world, uh, engage customers, engage consumers, engage audiologists on different ways that we can improve this. Um, how do you go down a different beaten path uh, to the same problem to solve it? You know, it's like the definition of sanity, doing the same thing repeatedly, uh, expecting different results. That's what's happening. So instead of doing that, education, again, like today, educating people, understanding, like, uh, and then the last line of my pitch always says, like, um, hearing loss is the silent epidemic. It costs our communities billions of dollars. Uh, and that's true. Like, look globally, the WHO just released that. So engagement, education, people understanding why hearing loss is important and that we need to actually do something about it. Uh, and then innovative solutions, you know, looking at uh, the hearing aid housing, only one company recently kind of changed it around, Stiletto. Uh, it's something that we're working on. We're working on a customized housing. Uh, the one I have on my ear right now, I can't go run with it. Why? Why can't I go run my hearing aid? It's, it's ridiculous that it does, it's not form-fitting. Uh, there's certain things in it that should be different. Why don't I have Bluetooth? Uh, so Innovative Solutions is looking at the hearing aid. We're looking at hearing protection. How do we help people on the other side? Uh, and then we're you know building out what we would call our hearing health continuum that helps inform uh, not just consumers, but audiologists of the best product uh, for their patients. You know Because again, I've taken a product test, whatever, saying, oh, what's the best hearing aid for me? I got a 54% match. Are you going to wear a 54% match hearing aid? Hopefully not. I, I, it's not my brand that they, you know, they match me to, but based off their algorithm or questions I answered, they tell me 54% is the best hearing aid that works for me. And that's it's unbelievable. It's horrible. Yeah, it's, it is. So that's like our hearing health continuum. That's what we're building right now uh, as a software, um, as a SaaS model uh, to start, you know, looking at licensing, um, you know, white labeling it to audiologists, to healthcare uh, groups. Um, because again, the uh, impact audiologists can make um, with a, a patient is huge, but the time they spend with them is not always impactful. Um, they don't sometimes ask the right questions or they don't understand um, our whole quality of life issues. I had to go back to the VA and say, hey, why don't I have Bluetooth? And they're like, oh, well, we didn't know you knew one of that. Well, yeah, it's impacting my quality of life. So they said, sorry, but we'll give you a secondary device around your neck. So then it connects to your hearing aid, it connects to your phone. And I'm like, wait a minute, 
again, it's 2020. You're going to give me a secondary device to wear around my neck? So now as a person who has a, hilarious. a disability, like people sometimes may see my hearing aid. So like the whole stigma comes into play, like, shoot, now I got to wear a hearing aid and I got to wear a device around my neck and I got to worry about like when it's going to connect. Like it's, it's too much. Like one device should be working and that's it. So Rob, you talked about how using the eyeglasses, all these eyeglass companies out there innovating, but there's really no innovation in, in hearing. Why, why is there innovation in the hearing side? So the hearing aid innovation comes into software. Uh, companies, uh, and again, my opinion, companies like uh, Facebook uh, Labs, Facebook Reality Labs, who has a huge sound uh, barometric room that they're studying how sound travels and hits the ear and different wavelengths. Phenomenal uh, what they're doing in the, so in the software that's going to come out of it. Um, so the software is, is going to keep innovating. But again, um, you're taking a digital product and taking an analog sound and making it digital. So it's not natural hearing. It's not natural sounds that you end up creating. That's why you get a lot of feedback. And that's at times so I go like this, my hearing aid, I can hear the feedback and the crunching. Um, so software, as it gets better, will be able to do that. Oticon recently released like their new version um, of their software, like with AI and, and machine learning in it, trying to improve that and have like, you know, thousands of sounds that are natural sounds that play into your ear and it automatically recognize that. So innovation happens there. Uh, the innovation is happening like on the hardware side has been slow in my opinion. Um, when, when you have a hearing aid, you know, that's now fitting in ears, great, but you have the chips that are in them, you know, the, why haven't they been able to always connect to Bluetooth? Why haven't they been able to connect in other uh, transmission systems? So there are some challenges there that we need the chip companies, which digital signal processor companies to innovate faster. But hearing aid manufacturers got to push them and say, this is what we want instead of sitting back saying, hey, we're cool with the, uh, you know, what the standard is. We don't need to change it. Even though standard is only 54%. Exactly. So as the standards just sit there, hearing manufacturers now have been put on notice as the OTC market comes open. Um, so those who have mild, moderate hearing loss will be able to buy a hearing aid without having to go and see an audiologist. And that is huge uh, because so many people who have mild, moderate hearing loss either either don't know, like I said, have hearing loss. Now they recognize it and they see the impactful of it is, and they want to buy a hearing aid. They don't have to go spend $2,500. They can spend anywhere between, uh, as the market's going to look at it, it's going to be between $300 to $900 for a hearing aid, most likely. Can you talk about the process, how you're actually building this product, how you're building this hardware? Yeah. So building so, hardware is not easy. No, it's not. As the thing always goes, hardware is hard. I've learned that um, we're, we're kind of pivoting and transitioning a little bit away from how we're doing it. Um, in school, again, I'm not a technical founder. Um, you know, I had mechanical engineers. I've been learning all this uh, on my own. Uh, as well with them and basically we had parts come in and we're learning how to like to build a you know a printed circuit board where the parts are supposed to go and design that it, it's not a lot of uh, parts that go inside of a hearing aid uh, the best way i always explain to somebody is it has a heart it has a brain it has a, a mouth it has an ear um, it kind of has you know a, a neck i guess um yeah and that's pretty much it you know it, it speaks for you uh the brain being the digital signal processor the microphone so you know or you know your mouth as it speaks for you into your ear so it's that way of looking at it it's great it has to be in a certain shape form or fashion to fit into your housing so we're developing a customized housing um so that's where we've been studying people's ears looking at different ways that we can make them fit different tactile material um, different designs out there. Can you make it like almost like an accessory fashion to your ear? Make it a part of your lifestyle, not just bland color that's sitting in my ear and it matches my hair color um, as I roll my eyes. Um, 
the, so we've been building it in house. Uh, we've been working a lot like University of Washington using like their labs while I was in grad school um, and then doing things from home. I, I'm so thankful to the Burke Center as we received prototype funding uh, earlier this year as we went to a competition to help us actually start building a, a low fidelity prototype. So I built, you know, our housing and design, looking at what that can look like. Um, so the pivot right now for us is we recognize like we we lack certain experiences. Um, so we already know that we need to work with an original design manufacturer. We have an amazing distributor, Celtech, um, that we work with. So with them, we're identifying an ODM, original design manufacturer. Um, we'll start getting them the specs at what we want, and then we'll uh, start looking at companies to uh, to a contract with. So I could be wrong, but everyone's eyes are different, right? Yeah. So it's the safe to assume everyone's eardrums are different too? Yeah. I mean, some people's eardrums sit in different places. I mean, it's still the same predominant, like, you know, anatomy, but like uh, for like myself, I used to have like a skin growing over my eardrum. So it was receding and a cavity behind it. That happens to a lot of people. Um, so, you know, it's, it's different for everyone. Like I have a titanium eardrum now that doesn't sit exactly in the right place. I can push on the back of my ear where it should be sitting and hold it and I can hear so much better. Um, so that happens to uh, everybody's the eustachian tube, which goes from your outer ear into your middle ear, that little canal. A lot of people's are really closed up. Some are really open. Uh, that's why they have things called like PE tubes. They put into it, open them up, expand it. Uh, happens a lot for uh, young children with like sinus problems like myself. So yeah, it's it's a different anatomy when it comes to, you know, like that part of our difference in how the anatomy sits. Um, and then everybody has different levels of hearing loss at different frequencies. So totally random question. Yeah. Are you supposed to stick a Q-tip in you to clean out the wax? Heck no, you're not supposed to do okay. that. But we all do it. I mean, so it, the point of the Q-tip, like if you're trying to clean really, it's really cleaning the uh, the outer ear, like the-, the So you're not supposed to jam it to your ear hole jam it and, and sweep out the brain, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and I'll put this plug out there. Uh, there's a company called Odo, uh, Odo, uh, yeah, Odo Health. Oh, crap, I'm messed up. I'm about to look it up again. So sorry about that. Um, they developed a, um, and they're going through with doctors right now, but they developed a headset it's FDA cleared. Uh, you put on your ear uh, at the doctor's office and it cleans out the earwax. Oh, wow. Like it, it's just crazy to even think about like, I'm going to put on like a Bose headset or like I'm going to put on my beats and some little machine is going to go down into my ear canal and clean out the wax and like suck it out and pull it back into like, you know, the, the case that's in there to, you know, to catch it. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. So it's just phenomenal to think about like, where hearing health is going um, and where we still have uh, leaps and bounds that we can go. Are hearing standards the same across the world? Yes. Okay. Is, yeah. there, is there like some kind of international hearing organization? Like, yeah. Like the I mean, organization well, yeah, like, I mean, WHO looks a lot at the, like the hearing, uh, really not probably an international. Uh, here in the U.S., we have an amazing organization called Hearing Loss Association of America. Uh, they're predominantly like who focus on hearing loss as a nonprofit in support of uh, consumers. Uh, most of the other nonprofits are in support of like audiologists or the hearing, uh, you know, aid manufacturers. So we really don't have much protection or associations except for HLA at the consumer level. So you say when you lose your hearing, it's gone forever, right? Yep. So I'm guessing there's no such thing as an eardrum transplant or nothing like that. I honestly, uh, I don't know. I'll have to look at that. That's, mm -hmm. I know right now they're trying, there's a new product that's trying to come on the market. It's like FDA, like registered. There's some 
you know, contention with it, but like trying to put a, like a contact lens for your hearing, uh, they put some device right up against your, um, you know, eardrum so it could sit there and it basically makes it like how you wear a contact on your, uh, you know, your eye and, and you know, takes your vision back to perfect. So, so what's like the major reason for hear loss? Is it like, cause someone goes to a concert, you know, and, and, and allows sound for one, one, another, like one in the blue moon, or is it like constant high sounds, you know, like you're, you hear like construction work every day, you know, or is it combination Honestly, of everything? It, it, every person's different. Uh, statistically noise induced hearing loss happens from, you know, repeated noise exposure above 80 decibels. That is the standard from OSHA. You know, anything above 80 decibels, companies are supposed to have a hearing conservation program, including the military. Uh, we're all supposed to wear hearing protection, either earmuff or earplugs. You know, we didn't wear half the earplugs. You also know there's a civil suit against 3M for their combat earplugs um, and what happened with that. Um, so that standard exists. Um, the uh, challenge then is how do you, you know, tell people to wear hearing protection? How do you enforce it? So there's some things like that. How do you know it's actually even working? So yeah, something. I don't think many people are hearing protection in a concert. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you may see a child, but yeah, so noise-induced hearing loss happens. You know, there's impact noise where like maybe an explosion, um, you know, where it comes on suddenly and you lose some of your hearing or you have like the ringing in the ears, you know, like from IDs or, uh, you know, even from shooting artillery, like you get rocked, you know, even shooting mortars, you can get rocked up in your head and hear the ringing um so like, those impact noises um or impulse noises happen as well for hearing loss and you're damaging the, the little hairs in your uh you know your ear and everything and that's you know really what it is so yeah so robert let's go back to your user manual real yeah. fast like did you get this idea from someone else and you came up on your own how the yeah it was an assignment uh so we have like one class all year long in the same class called leadership in our master's program. Um, so we have the same instructor, Ken Meyer, phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Uh, he's been in the startup world and helps a lot of us startups, been on boards and done his own companies multiple times. So his assignment was for us to do a user manual, um, you know, share the link. Again, you can go on LinkedIn and like, search for it somebody i can't think of a person's name really wrote a huge article on how to write the user manual I, I know it wasn't originated from that person um but he does speak about where he got it from um so i think that's just a great idea yeah and i i told uh and i asked my interns and I, i'll ask them I, I recommend they do it as well I recommend all our volunteers like do it because then i understand how to work with you um because that that's super impactful because again um I don't have enough time when it comes to email and I'm paying attention to it. So if something comes across and if it's not in brackets that says priority, like, cool. Or if it's just, I'll send emails out, say, uh, bracket knows to say information. And it's just informing, you know, people on the team, like, Hey, this is just informational. I don't need a response from you. I just, you know, look at it and read it and know what it says. And that's it. So it kind of gives us, um, uh, you know, like, again, another one of my, uh, values is, you know, talking about like the six C's, you know, for communication, you know, clarity and communication and, and conciseness. And that's where like this user manual comes into place. It gives clarity, it gives conciseness. It helps with my communication with the team. All right. We talked about this some earlier, but like example, I know some people where they work, you know, eight hour weeks. Some people like, I don't know one guy who works 21 days, takes three days off. Some wow. people would take like, take three days, like three hours off every day. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I do a lot based around actually my wife's schedule. She, you know, doesn't work long days on Monday or long days on Friday. 
Friday by noon, I shut down. Uh, I may do maybe like, I don't do work calls. I don't do anything with the team. I may go work on a PowerPoint presentation or I may get prepared for like the next week, um, but nothing uh, business-wise. I try not to send any emails and I don't, I don't have any meetings regardless of who it is afternoon because my wife's done with work and that's my time now with her through the weekend. Uh, some weekends I may have to work, but predominantly, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, an eight to uh, six or seven at night. Cause again, that's how my wife's schedule is. So I'm able to take advantage of that and match her schedule. Uh, we ride in together for work and then, you know, ride home. So like she works in a city, I come down to the city here, the, to the WeWork office, uh, Mondays I work from home, um, for, you know, probably from uh, about eight until uh, 4 p.m. And then I, I cut it off. Uh, I try to have Mondays, I try to have no meetings really at all because that's a really hard day. You come right back and everybody goes, we have one team meeting because we're just checking in for the week. Uh, but I try to have no other meetings on a Monday. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays are my heavy days. And then that's on purpose. So frontal wellness is a big thing now, right? How do you take care of yourself? <sighs> yeah. Um, so... SVP Seattle, that was one of our questions from our board chair is how are we going to take care of ourselves this summer? How are we going to reinvent ourselves? Uh, for me, it's like taking time with the family. So even though I know it's like a week and a half vacation that will be at uh, my, my wife's family's like lake house uh, later this month, I'll still be working out there, but I have already made an agreement with her um, and understanding like in the morning from like eight to 10, when everybody's getting up, I can go do work. Um, like, you know, we really don't actually have internet out there. So it's, we don't have running water, but like my wellness is taking that time and blocking it again, putting rails up of saying, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, on leave, I'll work a little bit here and there on certain things, um, unless it's important. And then my other wellness pieces, you know, I, I try to take one week in a month to like go out of town, um, you know, one week in a month to go hike. And then, you know, one of the courses to recharge, but I try not to fill my weekends um, with, and again, everybody does it differently. Um, like the normal household things, I gotta go to, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot this weekend, you know, unless I got honey to do or like, you know, chores around the house, I got to fix them. Try to do everything by Friday. That's why I get done work early on Friday. I can do all the laundry and clean the house and we can enjoy ourselves on a weekend. Go to the farmer's market, you know, go take a walk uh, and come to the city for dinner. So yeah, one thing we don't talk about enough are like, you know, entrepreneur lifestyle goes on, right? You still got to wash clothes. Oh, yeah. You got to do stuff your wife wants. Yep. Your kids want stuff, you know. Yeah. You got to take the car and get the, the oil changed, you know. Yeah. All that stuff so has to happen some kind of yeah. way. And, and we have one car, so like I have to schedule a lot of my appointments because she's a nanny and she needs that to take care of the child. So I schedule a lot of my appointments around time when she's off work. Um, so again, and I love it that it's easy for me to base everything a lot off her schedule and it makes it easier for me. Um, and then I just, you know, I love riding uh, trouble, uh, I'm sorry, public transportation. So I can just get on a bus and ride home if I want to, if I, I want to go home early or if I need to ride the train into work earlier than she's coming in. So Robert, you're doing a lot, right? How do you make sure like tomorrow, tomorrow's Wednesday, right? How do you make sure Wednesday you want to focus and do things uh, one yeah. to four on your priority list and uh, not yeah. get sidetracked and start working on things number 89 to 92 on your list? I'm not always the best at it, but I, I live by my calendar. So I put it on my calendar. If I'm going to, whatever's on my calendar, that's what happens. If you want to meet with me, it's not on my calendar, it ain't happening because I just don't know. It's one, too much time in the world or too much time like to focus on all those things too. I don't always have the best memory. 
So like got to send a you know calendar by or if I don't grab it right then and there. Um, so I, I put it on a calendar. I'll put like blocks of time saying, all right, this is my time to work on like my Jones and Foster Accelerator uh, application. I have my interview actually tomorrow uh, for the program, the UW. So I'll put that on a schedule. Tonight, this afternoon, I have time for like an hour to practice our, you know, uh, you know, five minute pitch tomorrow. So if you don't put it on your schedule or your calendar and block it off, or if you don't take uh, Friday or Monday morning to write out what you're going to do for that week and accomplish it, you're just not going to get it. You're going to just bounce around from idea to idea. You have any other tools you use, like Asana, yeah. Trello, or whatever case may be? Well, so from I, I do have smart sheets. I've tried smart sheets, Jira, Trello, Asana. They all are great and they do different things. It depends on your team. So that's been the other challenges. You get all the same people who know how to use the same stuff. So that can be hard um, when you come out of schools too. So I, I do use smart sheets a lot. Um, one thing I do use that's not like a technical tool really is a check-in. Uh, I started doing this years ago and now I do it with my wife. I actually uh, do it with Founder Institute, our uh, bi-weekly check-in. Uh, and the question is what went well last week? What didn't go well? Um, and where can I help you, uh, next week? So like if you're a team, you know, you're asking your people what went well for them, what didn't go well, where can you help them next week? And then how do you, you know, you know, look at each other's calendars and manage it. And that's what I do with my wife every week. So we know exactly where I need her support at for certain events. Like last week's, uh, Bunker Labs event, she knows, and she's going to after work, come to it. Um, so then we're able to, <clears throat> excuse me, be able to manage our time and manage like our tasks, uh, a lot appropriately. Robert, is there anything that I should have asked you to have heaven or anything else you want to talk about? No, we talked about a lot, which I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think it is phenomenal to be able to share all that. Most of almost all those things tied to each other in some shape, form or fashion. Um, you know, the other thing, like you also touched on a lot of like, what are different identities for everybody? And, you know, as you look into it, uh, everybody realizes we're all, you know, we're not just, you know, a veteran. I'm not just a you know entrepreneur. I'm not just a husband. But I have all these other identities, and they all cross boundaries each other at different times. And that's what makes us very unique. And that's what makes us like work even harder. Mostly, Robert, can you share your social media so people reach out to you? And yeah. Your uh, so our handle is uh, at Hear Your World. That is on Instagram as well as on Twitter. Hear Your World. Um, and for LinkedIn. And for Facebook, it is just sound sustainability at the end. Um, and, and our hashtag that we use if uh, predominantly across everything is hashtag hear your world. And to our listeners, we have the links to the social media on our show notes. You can find our show notes at www.cabinshr.com. And don't forget to sign up for a beta testing waitlist at www.cabinshr.co. So Robert, we're coming to the end of a talk. Can you give us any wisdom or advice or anything you want to go, go over? I mean, I love your, you know, phrase, you know, um, as you, you open up with, as and I think having a phrase like that or having a, a mantra is what I would tell you. Find your mantra for me is my four agreements. Um, and, you know, there's another, there's others for me, but when you find your mantra and you can live by it, it, it just makes everything so much easier about your life. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for your thank time you today. so much. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. Don't you know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know, pump it up.